this is Jason Schneeberger, a.k.a. Rain Architect. I was also in Murder Collection from Toe Tag Pictures. And you are listening to Sick on Cinema. everybody and welcome to sick on cinema i am one half of your professional whistling cowboys john <laughs> i'm your other half Matt. that was a great one thank you <laughs> i'm very proud of that one <laughs> whistling cowboy that's great and uh yeah here we are two weeks in a row this is special yeah like we didn't miss a week <laughs> which that was the original intent of the show but whether it be my procrastinating ass not watching the movies mm-hmm. or your shitty work schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever it is, we've... Uh... But don't get used to this, because we're going back to bi-weekly after this. <laughs> yeah, we we need to be bi-weekly and not bi-monthly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what is the day, Matt? The other, day... Other than Rusev Day. <laughs> if you're not a wrestling fan, you're not going to get that <laughs> reference, but... Uh... <laughs> This is part two of, I about said the Red Sin Tower. <laughs> <laughs> part two of the Red Sin Tower. Yeah, yeah we covered in this movie in two, two full parts. We're doing a sequel <laughs> that isn't been made. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is Fred Vogel part two. That's right. Which will feature the rest of the Fred Vogel interview, which I'm sure everyone's ready to hear. Yeah, they've, they've, their bodies are ready. And we're going to do that, and then we'll come back to us talking about the movies. Yes. That way, you hear this on the audio there. Just probably, sure but if listen, not, look. Well, we, we we live in Tennessee. It's hot right now. It's very muggy <laughs> and just just nasty feeling. It rained, which means it made a sauna basically. <laughs> yeah. So I've got a box fan that's almost broken going in here, and I got these two weird cubes cubes that put out air and you put water in them. Nice. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> But uh, so, anyways, so if you hear those, I apologize, but it's really hot and we're not turning them off. But anyway, let's get to this stuff. Um, the reason we're going to do the Fred Vogel interview first and then have us talk about the movies is that way if you're not, you know, if you just want to hear the interview, yeah, you can listen to it and move on. Right. But you should stay and listen to the rest of the show. Because we're going to give you some dang-ass reviews. <laughs> Although, I don't like to say reviews. It's more discussions than reviews, but... Yeah, I mean, we don't give anything ratings on here. But, I'm sure people are tired and sick to death of hearing us saying this. But before we get to the Fred Vogel interview, we have to give a massive thank you, shout-out to, of course, Fred Vogel. Yes. For giving us the time. Two idiots from East Tennessee. Get two... Not so rednecks from Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Who 
ask the dumbest questions and stumble over every other word. I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to be left in. I surely hope not. It's mostly cut out. Okay. But, the, uh, the, you guys didn't hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest question that it was probably yeah. ever asked for. <laughs> you know, to give us the time, Ugh. an hour and a half of his time, not like late at night too, or sort right. of late night, eleven thirty. But you know, by the time it was done, it's about one o'clock in the morning. Right. And also a massive thank you to Jason or Rain Architect, however you, however you want to know him. Either way, doesn't matter. You know. Right. For not only also giving his time. But also getting getting us the contact. Yeah, getting us hooked up with Fred Vogel. I thought there was a bug in here for a yeah. second. But giving us the hookup. Yeah, get, getting us the hookup to Fred. and Getting us them digits. <laughs> them digits. <laughs> so we can contact him for our interview, which I feel like a lot of it was good. Yeah, it's, most of it was good. Some of it was... Some of it was cringy. I'll but, accept that, but... <laughs> if we get to... Like thirty reviews on iTunes, we'll 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 put the bloopers. We'll put the the Fred Vogel interview uncut so you can hear all oh, the cringy. God, maybe I shouldn't have said this. <laughs> it's one of the worst questions anyone's asked anyone, probably. But I had some bad moments in there too, so don't feel too bad. <sighs> but before we jump into the Fred Vogel interview, if you have questions, comments, or concerns. Contact us at sickoncinema at gmail.com. And go to our Gmail to, you know, give us any, any of that stuff. And if you want to talk shit on us, you can also do that as well at that <laughs> you Gmail. You can do that, yeah. You can send us an email saying how much you can hate us. You can do that if you want to. Or you can, you know, give us some, you know, some praise, I guess. That's all up to you. It's up to you. <laughs> if you want to, if you really want to give us a help at hand, then give us them five stars and reviews on iTunes because that yes. helps punch us up the ratings, so that we can be, you know, get more and more listeners to make our family grow in yes. a way. It's the, I'm not sure if this is plant them beans to plant the beans. <laughs> Watch them grow. Yeah, <laughs> plant the. Wait, did you say plant the beans? Yeah. Shouldn't be seeds. Well, beans are seeds, are they not? I guess. We're idiots. Don't don't make that more apparent. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sakes, don't point that out even more. <laughs> yeah, give us them reviews Beans. and them <laughs> give us them reviews and ratings. And if you want to slide up in our DMs, <laughs> then you can do so at <laughs> at Instagram and Twitter. Just look up Sick on Cinema as well as Facebook. Yeah, our uh, Twitter page is finally back up after. Yeah. Like four months of being inactive, because <laughs> like, and the Instagram page is growing pretty pretty well. So yeah, if you're from Instagram, listening to this, hello and thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for you know listening to our pod, to listening to two dumpy idiots from Tennessee. You do a We're not sure podcast. if beans or seeds. <laughs> it has oh, terrible God. questions. Maybe I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been allowed to graduate from high school. <laughs> but. uh in all honesty, we may have asked a couple of cringy questions, but I think the Fred Vogel interview went very well. And also, to to Fred, if you know you do listen to this, you know maybe let us know if we did okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think now is a bet, as good a time as any, if you will. Yes, I like to say if you will. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. <laughs> if you will, it's a Dusty Rhodes special. <laughs> it it really is. But uh, now is <laughs> a good time as ever to jump to. 
the final part of the Fred Vogel interview, where he'll cover everything from Redson Tower to the final interview, and maybe even a little beyond. Right. So, we'll so. be back in just a minute. And until then, enjoy the sultry tones of Mr. Fred Vogel. Transitioning from um, August Underground into Redson Tower, was there ever a moment where you're worried that maybe the fans of the August Underground wouldn't follow you to like a more, like, quote-unquote, traditional movie? Um, well, you know, the, the, my movies are traditional. Um, you know, I knew I wanted, you know, the, the reason why we made, you know, the Redson Tower was... You know, to show people that I'm, you know, I'm not just the guy that makes snuff movies. Like, I love movies. It just so happened that my first movie, you know, just made a spark. And it got some attention, you know. And we followed it up with the sequel. And that's why I was like, there's no way that I'm going to go into a third one without doing something different to show people that, like, you know, I'm, I could do more, you know, more traditional style of filmmaking than the cinema verite style of the August Underground movies. Um, but Redskin is just as sick and depraved as the August Underground movies. It's just done in, it's just done in a different way, you know? You know, and the, and the funny thing is, is like, you know, the August Underground movies, you know, there's not a lot of blood in them. You know, there's just really crazy, you know, murder set, you know, murder set pieces in there. Um, you know, that really are shocking, but the Redskin Tower had way more blood. You know, it had real guts too. It had, you know, it was. There's a lot of sick shit in that one, and you know the the all the all the deaths I thought were pretty intense. You know, in that in that film, I like that movie. Yeah, Redson is definitely up there as one of my favorites of yours, and I also love it too because again, I like movies with a lot of lore behind it, and with uh, Redson as a character and the alchemy and the the experiments he's pulling. Was that stuff that was just kind of birthed while writing it, or was that something that was kind of a seed first and then kind of expand upon as you were telling the story? Yeah, no, you know, it was it was something that, you know, um, I'm a huge fan of slasher movies. Jeremy was really into possession movies. So, uh, you know, when we would sit around and talk about ideas for the Redson Tower, you know, these things would kind of come in. And, you know, just trying our best to be innovative. You know, there's, you know, the Redson Tower is two movies. You know, it's 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 a slasher film, and then it's also the supernatural possession movie. And um, it's, uh, you know, we really try to make, you know, make it different for people, and not just like your tradition. You know, I know, like for like from Dust Till Dawn, you know, that's movies, is two movies too. You know, it starts off like you know a robbery movie, and then it turns into a vampire film. So uh, you know, we like I like shit like that. Um, when, when I'm watching uh, the Redson Tower, all the characters seem so real. Like they they seem like people you would meet, you know, like, like at a high school or, you know, at an an event or whatever. Like, was there anything you were watching or listening to that influenced these characters? You know, so the Redson Tower was my like teen movie. You know. Um, I knew that we needed to have a body count and I knew that it needed to be, you know, teens or, you know, what we, what usually is part of that equation. And, 
I knew all those characters. Every single one of those characters I went to school with. And even though that I, you know, the, the script was written, and I made a movie in my 30s. You know, I think I just turned 30. Um, but you know, it's, it wasn't that far off, and I knew those kids. You know, and I just, I, but I wanted to make it Pittsburgh. You know, I'm from New Jersey, so you know, kids in New Jersey talk different and act a little different. You know, these guys were all from you know Western Pennsylvania, from Pittsburgh. So, like, the, the Phil Pepper character, you know, he's kind of like a Northside guy who has that, like, street kind of talk, but he's also, like, likes to smoke his pot, and he's a hippie, and I didn't want him to be, you know, like a traditional Jason Mewes or a Spicoli. Um, you know, and just, you, you know, just kind of and give, you know, give all those characters, you know, something special, you know? That's uh, little traits of people that I've known in my life, and I kind of threw all that in there, you know. That's how you really create good characters, is just by, you know, using what you know. On the five-disc edition of Redson that y'all put out, which, by the way, is one of the best special editions I have ever seen. It's un- it's unbelievable. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. On the documentary, you know, something I didn't realize was you were kind of forced to change main characters uh, mid-filming due to uh, someone getting sick. How hard was it to adjust that and write that on the fly to kind of switch it up? I didn't handle it very well, uh, but Shelby did. And Shelby went in there and she, you know, uh, she was able to rewrite the script. I was just so, I was just so far gone into it as, as a director to like, you know, where I needed to take the movie and what shots I needed to get to put it all together. Because as I'm shooting, I'm editing in my head. Um, and you know, the movie was shot. We were waiting for a lot of the sets to be built. So we would shoot other stuff. So, um, I knew that there was more stuff that I had to shoot with Billy. You know, Billy ended up getting uh, Crohn's disease and that's why he had, he had to leave the movie. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that was missing that, you know, and we had to get somehow. So we actually had to postpone for a while. And then once, you know, Billy was healthy again, he came back and, and it was good for, you know, like after it was all said and done, like, I'm, you know, I'm glad Billy's healthy and we were able to shoot that stuff, but it gave me that time to really edit the movie and tighten the movie to where I needed to be. And then I knew exactly what I needed to add. You know, it was just like kind of being finished with a paper, you know, two months early. But then you're like, oh, you know what? You get to work on it for another couple months. And um, and that's what I was able to do with the movie. And I think that's why, you know, I think the movie is uh, it's pretty tight. Yeah. Story-wise and character-wise. Uh, I really love the final shot of the film where Mitch is carrying her. And it feels immensely yeah. cla- immensely classical. Like it feels like it was very influenced by classic horror cinema. Was that definitely kind of something you were looking, at, you know, to homage? Yeah, you know, it, it was just something that, you know, I, you know. I think we had three different endings written in the script of like, what are we going to shoot? What are we going to do? You know, did the cops come up to the tower? You know, like that kind of shit. But when it all came down to it, it was we shot all day. I mean, it was like a twenty-hour day, and I remember like our even our sound guy was just like, you know, Fred, like, you know, I can't go in overtime here. And uh, but we ended up like hopping after shoot, like the whole ending scene, like so all the blood on on all that stuff really happened. Like we shot the whole ending in like one day, 
So um, we, as the sun was coming up, we all got in the cars and we went down into the park. And uh, we set up the jib real quick, and we just, you know, I think we did it two times or something, and uh, and just got the shot. And I think what makes it so powerful too, of course, is the music from, you know, Steve Moore from the band Zombie, and uh, Scott Hall from Pig Destroyer. Did you just say Pig Destroyer? Him and Steve Moore from the band Zombie both did the music for the Redson Tower. Okay, so we're huge Pig Destroyer fans. Yeah. How did you get involved with him? Uh, Scott's a huge fan, Totec fan. Big fan of the August Underground movies. And uh, he contacted me. He was another one of those people that contacted me out of the blue. And was just like, Fred, I love your stuff. If you ever need anything, like, I'm your man. And I was like, sweet, dude. I'm like, you know, it's funny. I'm getting ready to start making this movie. But, you know, I, I'd love to do something with you. But I'm, t- I'm kind of talking to Steve Moore from the band Zombie because I was going to have Zombie do the score. And he's like, well, Zombie's on the same label as me, Relapse. And uh, I'm like, what if you guys work together? And he's like, I fucking love that idea. So, you know, the piano pieces in the Red Sin, you know, that's all Steve Moore. And then all that crazy noise and slithering shit going on that you know those that's all you know scott hall for big destroyer i mean he he created some really you know great ambient and you know powerful music for the movie that's awesome i didn't know that amazing (laughs) (laughs) the more you know right (laughs) um one of my favorite films of yours just because i find it just immensely fascinating when i watch it uh is Murder Collection, just because I feel that it almost seems more relevant today than it did when it was released, just due to, like, you know, shock videos and, like, the deep web stuff that became immensely popular. What was the inspiration yep. behind Murder Collection? Um, what happened was, um, you know, at, at back in the day, Totag had a really awesome forum. You know, forums aren't really around anymore, but, like, we had this forum on the website, where people would come and talk and, you know, one of the things that you weren't allowed to put up on the forum was anything that was real death. You know, Totag is, we make horror movies. It's all special effects, our love for special effects and horror and gore that way. But we do not tolerate, you know, real violence. And uh, <clears throat> somebody contacted me and sent me this video, and they're like, Fred, you know, I, I didn't want to post it on the forum, I wanted to reach out to you first, but, like, can you tell me if this video was real? And this video was those boys from the Ukraine, I think it's called Two Guys and a Hammer, um, where they, like, murdered this homeless man in the woods, and laughed and giggled the whole time, and it was very reminiscent of August on the ground. And um, it was absolutely real. But I showed that video to Jeremy, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, we can totally recreate this. Like, you know, he's like, absolutely. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm like, there's the, this is the idea for the new movie. I'm like, let's create, let's, let's create these real deaths. Um, but you know, when you as a viewer watching this, you know, you don't have to have that real sickness in your stomach of actually knowing somebody's being hurt. This is all illusion. It's all magic. It's all toe tag doing what toe tag does best. And uh, we strove very hard to create ultra-real-looking clips. You know, I'm, you know, we shot this big, huge, you know, segment that cost me the most money on the whole movie, 
and we didn't even put it in because one little thing looked real, you know, so, or, you know, not real, so uh, it was taken out of the movie. Like, everything in there had to look 100% authentic for it to work. And at the time, you know, you would see, you know, clips to murder collection pop up on some of those real death sites, you know, which I thought was pretty, pretty crazy that, you know, it looks that real that people are thinking that it's real. So that's how the idea came. Yeah, one of my favorite segments from that is the, uh, what I'm assuming is the, the serial killer who brings in the two, uh, the two people who are completely dressed down to underwear and whatnot. I got vibes from like John Wayne Gacy and stuff like, you know, people like, you know, him. Yeah. You know, that's, and that's the thing is like, you know, with the murder collection, you know, even though there's these murders happening, there's always like some sort of, you know, consequence going on. Like how the, how the boys turn it on that guy. And, you know, how it's, you know, as, as much as I love, violence in movies you know i also i don't want to promote violence you know so i always kind of put like hey this isn't good (laughs) you know what i mean like it's a little undertone of just so you can taste the flavor to let you know that you know i'm I'm using this as an artistic merit you know and not just because i like seeing people in pain or you know people hurt or being murdered you know i you know my my cousin was murdered right before i made the redson tower you know, so real violence has happened in my life, and uh, you know, it, it, it actually made me question my own, you know, time as a, a horror filmmaker. I thought about, you know, actually giving it up and, you know, doing something else. But I just love the genre so much that I, you know, I, I don't want to leave it. And you know, even when I kind of, you know, take a breath from it, you know, it's still there. Um, it's it is interesting to think about. When when these videos like you talked about the guys with the hammer or one loon take one ice pick, when they when they hit the internet they do become like almost like a phenomenon. What do you think it is about people and their curiosity towards these kinds of things? I think we're all curious about our own mortality. Um, you know we don't know what happens when the lights go out. You know when we all when we die, and you know nowadays we're just so desensitized you know, by the videos we do see. You know, back in the early 2000s, you know, you had to really search out, you know, videos like that. You know, now it's on your Facebook feed. And it's, now it's on, you know, World world Star. You know, now it's, all, you know what I mean? It's, it's all over the place is watching, you know, other people do horrible things to other people. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's a society that we live in right now. It's just that everything, everything is uploaded. Everything, there's a video clip for everything, you know. There's the famous story that you talked about quite often that when August Underground came out, you were going to leave it on, like, park benches and stuff like that. Do you think, had you made the day that maybe you would have went the, the deep web route or, like, live leak or something like that? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Um, you know, I... I Doing it that way back in the day was just like, you know, the, at the, at that moment in time when I made August Underground, the Blair Witch Project just came out. And those guys had such an amazing marketing campaign behind that movie. 
And, you know, people believed that was real. Like the Blair Witch was real. They had a website. And it was just all new. You know, 1999, you know, early 2000, it was just so all new, the internet and, and all that. And, um, you know, I thought with August Underground, if I left it and, like, you know, let people find it, like, it, it would, the, news, the news would pick it up and be like, oh, my God, there's, like, you know, a killer tape going around. And, um, you know, it wasn't the best option to do that, you know, via my lawyer. So, just, you know, at that time, you know, when 9-11 just happened, the world was under, it was a different, you know, the world changed at that moment. So there was an anthrax scare at the time. Anybody that was doing anything wrong was being put on an FBI list. And, um, you know, it just, August Underground, like, maybe, if, if who knows what would have happened if it would have came out three years earlier, I'd probably be super rich and, you know, whatever, or it would have came out now. And, you know, who knows what people would think about it now. But uh, the amazing thing is, is that August Underground still finds viewers every day. Somebody new is discovering it and, uh, you know, people still care about it. And I think, you know, a movie that's, you know, 17, 18 years old, people still give a shit about it. It's pretty amazing. The, Especially now, since everybody doesn't give a shit about anything. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the The setups in Murder Collection are pretty incredible because most of the time they seemingly they feel like one continuous take, and I'm assuming a lot of them were. Uh, what was the hardest one to like set up and execute? Mm. You know, I you know they all had their challenges. Um, the the scene where the guy kills his wife with the axe. Mm, Jason. You know, that that was, a, yeah, Jason scene. That was, a, that was a pretty interesting scene to do because we had to, like, record Jason and then, like, the room that, we had to build a set right outside the other room that he was in. Um, you know, that was pretty difficult. Uh, the one with, um, the, the segment that my wife Shelby directed um, with the restaurant being robbed was pretty cool and hard, you know, making sure, you know, all the, how all those cameras worked and, you know, positioning people, choreographing, you know, that's the thing is everybody, oh, they just fucking do this shit, you know, no, man, like, August Underground was so choreographed, that whole movie's choreographed, you know, it wouldn't work if it wasn't, like, you know, Jeremy is hiding with a bottle of blood somewhere, <laughs> you know what I mean, and the camera can't see him, like, you know, it's, we have to, we're pulling off effects, making it look like it's one camera take, you know, where we throw the edit in and a tiny, you know, glare of light, a lens flare hitting the, hitting the camera, whatever. However we decided to do it, um, it was all, you know, really structured and choreographed. So it wasn't, it, none of the movies were easy. And that became our signature style. My style is like having the, you know, violence looks more real when there's not a cutaway from it. So if you, if you, if I can have violence, you know, if an effect pull off in a shot where there's no camera cuts, man, that just even makes it look more real. That's why I think I, that's really where you know, where, where I think what made the August Underground movie so powerful is like, you know, watching a 15 minute take go on where you see that violence. Nobody really did that. Yeah, and there's there's certain scenes in the film too where the the makeup effects, you know, they they just look completely real. It's like the beheading scene or the autopsy scene. Is there ever a time you come up with an effect that you're like, I don't know if we can do this? 
you know, that's the beautiful thing about toe tag is, you know, those words really don't exist. You know, toe tag, you know, I just, I just made my new movie, the final interview and it's not a toe tag movie. And, um, you know, people are like, why isn't it a toe tag movie? And I'm like, because toe tag is pure, raw fucking horror. You know, like what's in those movies is just sick and depraved horror. And, you know, we're very proud of that. And, you know, like now that I've been doing different stuff, it's just because I love all kinds of cinema and I want to make all different kinds of movies. But when I, when I make something with toe tag, you sure as hell are going to know that it's fucking toe tag. You know what I mean? With the way that we handle the special effects and the content. Uh, there's a there's a scene in the murder collection that features like this gang of kind of thugs um, kidnapping this one girl, and in the credits it says that one of them is Ruckus. Who, if I'm thinking that's the same Ruckus, that is a uh, CZW wrestler Ruckus. Is that correct? <laughs> that's absolutely correct. Uh, how did you get involved with him? And are you a fan of CZW? I am a fan of CZW. Um, at that moment in time. Um, I had a friend named Billy Graham who was a manager over at CCW. And he'd be like, Fred, there's this guy here, Ruckus. He loves your movies, dude. Um, so when I went to... Um, the what's, what's the big, huge thing they do in the wintertime? Is it the Cage of Death or the... Yeah, Cage of Death. Yeah, Cage of Death. So I went to a Cage of Death and I met him and hung out. And, uh, you know, him and I hit it off. And um, when it came time for the, uh, you know, when I was writing the scene for that, um, I was just like, you know what, like, I'm going to ask my man Ruckus to see if he wants to be in this. And, you know, I, I wanted to make the guys black because you don't really see that very much. You know, I was just like, you know what, I want to make these guys black. And um, just tell a different story than the traditional, like, if it was like, you know, white guys or or whatever doing it, you know, I just thought, I just wanted to change it up a little bit, you know, Ruckus is black too, so, it just added to it. Are you a fan of deathmatch wrestling in particular, or, because I know that's something that kind of um, divides people, that genre of wrestling. Know, I, I, I give it up to those guys that put their bodies through that, I know it hurts, um, and I know they love doing it, um, but, you know, I'm just really, my, my favorite kind of wrestling is, is old school. You know, anything from the, you know, the Bruno San Martino era all the way, uh, you know, to the 80s. But, I mean, I still watch, I watch wrestling every week, you know what I mean? I've been, I've, my first match I saw Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik in Madison Square Garden. So, you know, I was kind of, I, I came in with a bang. Right. <laughs> I'm still, yeah. You know, and I'm st- I'm still watching it. You know, I've I've watched it's you know, and you watch something for thirty something years, man. It's 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 crazy to see the evolution. And you know, I I like seeing all the different kinds of wrestling out there. You know, the in Japan. You know, all the stuff that WWE's been doing and stuff. So, I actually I actually hope to make a wrestling movie one day. I have a, I got an idea for one. Um, so, you know, if if everything works out with my new movie, The Final Interview, I have a few options to, to pitch for my next couple movies. So, you know, it's, it, it takes place in like the, the late 70s, early 80s. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of like a road movie, you know, with, you know, because wrestlers were always traveling. So, 
Um, I just I just find that that dynamic pretty cool, and I really want to tell a story about that. Like now, everybody knows wrestling's fake. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and everybody they all hang out. They're buddy, buddy, buddy. You know, but back then, you know, like. You had a, you know, if you went into a bar with the bat, you know, if you're a good guy and there's a bad guy in there, you know, you didn't want to talk to him, even though you guys are best friends and he's godfather of your kid, or whatever. Um, so I, I just found that super fascinating, you know, yeah. that kind of that kind of world where those guys had a lie, you know, until they were finally home, and you know, and you hear the story that kind of broke that was when you know. Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Iron Sheik got caught, you know, doing drugs together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody was like, and everybody was like, wait a minute, you know, this guy's Mr. America, and this guy's the, the Iron Sheik. Why are they hanging out together? There's nothing like, you know, when the horseman supposedly broke Dusty Rhodes' leg and they had to be carted out with via police escort because people were trying to kill him. I mean, that just, that will never happen again. Yeah, no, no. Like I and like I was I was you know I kind of saw the end of that you know when I was going to wrestling matches as a kid, you know I used to tell stories about how we I used, we used to make tin foil balls to throw at the, the bad guys, like you were able to do that, like you know now you, if you throw anything at a wrestler forget about it they'll, they'll throw your ass out of there so fast. Oh yeah, like, back in the day, back in the day, you know what I mean? Like you, you hated those guys. You hated those bad guys. I just want to see a good match. You know, I want to. I want to see some. I want to see a good match, and and see the story. To, you know, like see the storytelling with the match. You know, if those guys can put on a good match, and you know, tell me, tell me the story. Like, I'm all about it. You know. Did you guys see like the you know that Jericho Omega match? That was pretty. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, New Japan really has like some of the best. And, you know, a lot of people criticize them for not having storytelling, but I would disagree with that quite a bit. The build-up between, like, Omega and Okada and Omega and Jericho were amazing. On the Celitarsica DVD, there was a trailer from Murder Collection Volume 2, and it never seemed uh-huh. to materialize. Is, is that something that could happen in the future, or...? I don't know. Maybe. Um, you know, one of, there's a really great movie called History of the World Part 1, um, directed by the, the great Mel Brooks. Mm. And they never made a History of the World Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, when I, you know, there, there, maybe there will be another murder collection when I have something to say. You know, I just don't, I just don't make movies to make movies. You know, I, I make movies when I have, when I have something to say and I have a story to tell. And, um, you know, and my passion is going a hundred miles an hour. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's really what drives me as a filmmaker. I just you know, there's a lot of filmmakers that just kind of make shit to make shit, and you know, hey, that's cool. But uh, for me, I'm a, I, I'm I'm a different breed. Like uh, you know, I really I try to put everything that I have into my films, and uh, you know, it just it just takes me a little bit more time. I want them to be the best. Mask is a film I've not really heard you talk a whole lot about. Just um, and it's it's a definitely. An odd one because I know it's the first time you kind of worked with somebody outside of Toe Tag with the um, the writer of Cigarette Burns. Where did this whole thing kind of begin? Um, I was contacted by Scott Swan, um, and uh, you know when I looked him up, you know I saw that he he wrote he co-wrote Cigarette Burns with John Carpenter, 
And I'm like, wow, that was my favorite episode. And, you know, Toe Tag, you know, one of the things we always talked about at Toe Tag was like, you know, we want Toe Tag to be a place where, you know, and, you know, filmmakers can come and make that raw movie where they don't have to worry about, you know, ratings or whatever. You know, like, what if Quentin Tarantino wanted to make the sickest movie ever and he came to Toe Tag and, you know, we did, we did the effects and, you know, he kind of was able to play in that world. We always kind of, like, dreamt of something like that, right? But, so, you know, Scott Swan, that, uh, all of a sudden something happened. You know, it was like there's a little spark. Here's somebody from Hollywood contacting us to make a movie. And, uh, you know, we, we worked with Scott on this project, and um, it just was too it was just too difficult. There was no way that we could raise the kind of money. It was just a little too big. And we had to change it up a little bit, and Masked was born from that. And, um, you know, Scott came from came in from California, and I pretty much, you know, I cast the movie. I got everything ready for it. When he got here, we'd be able to start shooting. And um, I didn't know what to expect. You know, this is a Hollywood guy working on big Hollywood movies, and I'm an underground guy making movies for, you know, 50 bucks. You know, just trying to, you know, do the best that we can with the small crew and just the way that we do it. And, uh, you know, when Scott got here, he, he loved that. And, um, you know, we just had a blast making that movie together. And I mean, in that, in that movie, you know, it's funny cause like I, I watch, I watched Maskhead not too long ago with the audience. And, you know, it's, I'm like, man, I can't believe how filthy this movie is. Like this movie is just like, it's just filthy. It's, it's, it's like if John Waters made, you know, this horror exploitation movie. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I, I, it's, 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 you know, it's one of my babies and I, and I love him, you know, I love Maskhead and I think, you know, Maskhead's a really great character and there's some shit in Maskhead that, you know, that ending of Maskhead, that is fucked up. You know, that arm break in Maskhead, you know, there's some stuff in Maskhead where, you know, Jeremy Cruz did some amazing, amazing effects. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Because, like, you have these, like, very bizarre off-the-wall characters kind of combined with, like, some of the most brutal kills that y'all have ever put to film, really. So it's like, it is a, the John Waters thing is a very good description of it. It's a, it it, it also encompasses a lot of, like, fetish stuff. Did you do, did y'all do research kind of, you know, to incorporate a lot of that stuff into it as well? Yeah, we did. You know, I've, I've always doubt, you know, the adult movie world has been not that far from me. You know, um, when I was younger, I worked for a company that was an adult movie company. Um, I have a lot of friends in the adult business. Um, so, like, I know, you know, there's that, that's a whole other kind of world, you know, adult movies. So, um, you know, wanting to show that, that side of it, that world of it, you know, and I also believe, like, you know, Mass Cat's like a fake world. You know, where, where violence and death is real, you know, you're able to make videos of this stuff. So, you know, it's, you know, Masked isn't real by any means, you know, that's a, that's a fake world. But, uh, you know, we, of course, but we play it straight. So, you know, people think like, you know, this is what it is, but you know, it's, you know, Masked is, you know, it's a very interesting, <laughs> it's a very interesting movie and cool and really fun characters too. You know, like, you know, the cowboy and, um, you know, the, you know, of course, there are two two lesbians, Sue and Maddie. You know, those guys are a lot of fun. Cowboy is one of my favorite characters in your your one of your films. 
his stories are fantastic. Was those like was that written <laughs> word for word or was there some improv in that? No, no, that's word for word. You know, Scott's a wonderful writer. Um, you know, and you know now Scott is Rebecca Swan. So, um, you know, so it's it's kind of it's interesting for me to be talking about him back then as Scott, but now he's transitioning to Rebecca. And um, <clears throat> but you can definitely see like his. You know his dark sides of things, and you know his little his little little hints into these movies. You know that I I didn't see then, but I see now. You know what I mean? So it uh, it was interesting, and like just uh, again his his talent. He's one of my favorite right. You know, she's one of my favorite writers, and um, you know we just we did the final interview together. Um, my next project, Pittsburgh Body Removal, we did together. So. Uh, you know, we have a really great relationship when it comes to, you know, creating really fucked up <laughs> stories. The the design of Maskhead himself, uh, it's a little, mm-hmm. it's a little reminiscent of um, the cover of Dead Next Door. Did that play any influence on it, or was that just kind of have a happy coincidence? Uh, it's definitely a happy coincidence. Um, you know, Dead, Dead Next Door is, you know. Uh, underground independent achievement you know that, that movie was one of those movies I saw when I first moved to Pittsburgh and was like holy shit they made this movie right you know not far from here um, for no money you know so uh, Jared Bookwalter you know that's a, that's a good one but we didn't you know Maskhead was you know Jeremy made that mask um, and then I kind of drew up a character, what I thought he'd look like with, you know, being kind of spurt, you know, scarred and he has the bandages and things like that. Again, I really love the fact that like you don't spoon feed everything to the audience. Like Maskhead, like he's bandaged and he's like, they're constantly wrapping him up, but you don't know why you don't know who this person is, but have you ever been kind of criticized yep. for that? Like people have been really frustrated that they don't know exactly what Maskhead is. I don't give a shit. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. Uh, you know, like, again, I, I'm an avid reader. I like to read. I like to use my imagination. If I can do the, if I can do the same thing a writer does through, you know, text, if I can do that visually but still make you use your brain to think about what's happening, that's what I want. You know, it, it's, you know, Hitchcock did it masterfully. Kubrick did it masterfully, you know what I mean? I'm doing it with, you know, uh, the under, an underground sentimentality. So um, I'm always trying to, you know, throw those little bits of, you know, those little nuances in there and let, you know, the viewer kind of take them as they will. It, it's hard to talk about. my movie sit with you for a few days, you know? Like, I hope when you watch a toe tag movie, you just don't forget about it, but you know what? You, you sit about and think about it for a few days, I'm like, man, that shit was fucked up. Remember that scene, and you talk about it, and you try to, you play it over your head a bunch of times, and, you know, that's, that's all I hope for. It's a, it's hard to talk about Maskhead without bringing up the Maskhead song, which I think is hilarious and awesome. <laughs> Where did that come, like, how did that come into existence? Because it's amazing. Um, you know, so Danny Inks, who... As one of our leads, you know, she was a singer. So, um, 
you know, when we were when we were doing all the sound design, we were inside a studio that we were able to. They record a lot of music, and one one day we just sat there and we're like, "Hey, we need a theme song for for Masked," and uh, we just kind of we just came up with those lyrics, and Danny sang it, and um, you know the the master technicians working the board, you know, really helped out and made it sound big and fun and. Uh, you know, it's a fun little little theme song. Transitioning into the Cell of Tersica, which to me, that's my favorite movie, but it's also the one I've watched the least just because of how raw and emotional it is, more so than, you know, the disturbing films like at August Underground. Where did the ideal for Cell of Tersica come from? You know, at that moment in time, Tootag was changing. You know, it was going through this big change. You know, we were going into the next phase of our our existence. You know, Christy Wiles has left by that time. You know, she was out at Murder Collection and Mass Catch wasn't involved in any of those movies. So, and then we were also, um, you know, to, at the time, Tech had this big studio. It was a 7,000-square-foot studio. And um, our, our landlord ended up acquiring the buildings illegally. And it was forcing that they were the city was forcing all these artists out of this out of their their spaces that we were paying for for three years. So there was just a lot of drama going on in, in the life, and it was just like you know what, like like why we have the space and we can do something right now. Like let's make something. And um, you know the the idea of Salterska came in of just something that was you know what was kind of going on at the times like. You know, how we're just being lied to by the government. We don't know what's going on with our soldiers over fighting the war. You know, we just hear what's on the fucking television. You know, and Jeremy's cousin was, you know, a soldier, and he would come back from his um, his tours of duty and just be, he'd tell us all kinds of shit. And, we just, and I just remember being just so blown away. I'm like, oh, my God, man. I'm like, I, I didn't even know any of this stuff was going on. So, uh, you know, it was kind of born out of that. And um, uh, I knew that, you know, this was going to be a next step in Totag where I wanted to have a name in, in one of the movies. You know, somebody that would help sell the movie a little bit. And, you know, we thought long and hard, you know, do we, do we make the story about the father or do we make it about the mother? If it's a male, who are we going to cast as the male? You know, at the time, I'm like, I'm friends with Gunnar Hansen, I'm friends with David Hess, I'm friends with, you know what I mean? Like, I was friends with all these great horror icons that I knew that I could pull in. But, um, you know, when it came down to it, and the, and the first person who was ever going to be, like, a name in a toe-tag movie needed to be the right person. You know, it needed to it needed to be somebody who was just as underground and as cult as we are, and Camille Keaton was that person. You know, with her, you know, her iconic role in "I Spit on Your Grave" was definitely a huge influence on me. Um, I I loved her in that movie. I loved her performance. I, I loved you know that movie was just sadistic and twisted and. You know, every time I still see that bathroom scene where she cuts off that dude's dick, I still cringe. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, getting Camille involved in the movie was super important. And, you know, when she, you know, I kind of pulled her out of retirement. She hasn't, she wasn't, she hadn't done anything in a while. 
So, you know, for her to come back and to have this big starring role in this movie, you know, she was really excited. And, I mean, we were just really, we were excited to have her. And then I also, like, I got to bring in Jade Risser, who I worked on with Murder Set Pieces when she was a little girl. And now having her in the movie as a, as a, a young woman, you know, which was pretty awesome. So It's definitely, like, a great cast of um, characters because everybody just seems so likable and believable. But Damien, who plays Brad, like that guy, you know, he blew me away in this movie. I know you worked with him in Mascad and Murder Collection as well, but in this oh, yeah. movie, in this movie in particular, he like no, he's a mask, he's a, he's a, he's a Mascad too. Yeah, um, you know, just the subtle looks he can give that just like, you know, break your heart. Like, where did you like meet him, and how did you get involved w- with him? Um. So. When we had auditions for Murder Collection, this this girl came in and she's she brought her cousin, and her cousin was Damien. And uh, Damien, he you know the first movie that he did with us was uh, you know you know it was it was yeah it was Murder Collection. So we, you know we did the scene in Murder Collection where he had to play Russian. Hmm. And he said, and he worked really hard, and you know, learned learned his Russian, and um, you know, I'm like, wow, and, and I just love Damien's look, you know, and Damien's a wrestling fan too, you know, so it was like he, you know, he he was in wrestling, and um, him and I just hit it off as friends, and um, you know, and when he started to perform, I'm like, wow, this kid really has some chops, and every movie since then, I've just given him more and more and more. And he just keeps blowing me away more and more and more. I mean, he's the star of my new one, the final interview. And, uh, I mean, you know, I can't wait for you guys to see that, man, because he is fucking phenomenal in that shit. Yeah, he, I just watched Selaterska again yesterday, and his performance is unbelievable. Like, there's this, just the subtle little, like, face acting in certain scenes just, like, creates so much emotion. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he's you know he's like a, a really great break dancer. So that's one of the reasons why I hired him to be Brad Feltrisco because I wanted Brad to when he reanimates himself, you know I wanted him to have this crazy kind of walk. And um, you know Damien he did, he kept it from me. He showed it to Shelby, but uh, he didn't show me the walk until the until I said action and he came around the corner and he was doing the walk. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, like, this kid is unbelievable. Like, just the way, and the same thing, you know, I, we did with, uh, you know, the Kim character in the Redson Tower, you know, to, she was a gymnast, so she was very good at moving her body and contorting her body, so all that stuff is all, it's all natural. You know, there's no, it's not sped up or done anything weird, it's just all her. You know, so I, I, I like to, you know, when I'm casting people, that's something that I think about a lot. It's like, what other talents do they have that I can utilize in the film? I picked up on some things, and I don't know, maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but a lot of, like, almost like loss of religion. Like, there's a lot, in particular, there's a line that Brad says about the two rivers where the Garden of Eden is and there's nothing there. Is that actually something that you feel is, like, a little subtext in that movie? Well, you know, I, I believe... You know, a lot of people who are soldiers come from a religious family. You know, uh, 
and you know that to me that was you know that was kind of Americana. You know, a little. That, I really wanted to make the the family American, you know, true Americana of, of the of the time. That's why there's the mixed relationship with the boyfriend and the girlfriend. That's why the the older brother is a tattoo artist. You know, I mean, it's like that's what I see. You know, I that's what you know, like that's what I see when I go to people's houses. I see all different kinds of people all living together and living as one. And you know, then there's a family with a you know a soldier in there too. So um, I just really wanted to to you know sh- kind of show like what my interpretation of you know modern day Americana in 2010 was. That's really what that's all about. Um, I don't know if you've heard a. Uh, there's a term that's been going around. Uh, Post horror, which is basically movies like The Witch and stuff like that, which are very drama based but also horror films, and I feel Celeterska falls in that as well. But people try to claim that they're not horror horror movies. You know, do you have any opinions on that? Oh, if, if The Witch is a horror movie or not? Well, just that you know, um, like these like drama based horror movies that people just like they don't seem to like want to accept that they're horror movies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's really hard to say. Like, I hate you know I hate classifying things and you know putting things into genres and subgenres and yes. stuff. <laughs> you know, what I love about horror is that feeling in my gut um, when watching something that isn't right. That's that's horrific to me. So if it's David Lynch, you know, doing that amazing scene in Blue Velvet where. The, you know, the cops and he's shot in the head and he's in the room and his walkie-talkie goes off and he knocks over the lampshade. Like, that's horror to me. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just as horror to me as Jason, you know, squeezing somebody's eyeballs out of their head in the Friday the 13th movie. It's just a different way of showing that violence. But, you know, the, the situation of horror is is always what I'm looking for. And, and that's where, I you know, with Celeterstica, that's kind of where I... You know, like what I'm doing right now with the final interview is I'm trying to show horror a different way. I'm still spreading the sickness the way that I've always had. It's just that I'm pulling in the red. I'm I'm not using so much of the red stuff because I don't need to. Um, And, you know, I'm really trying to do stuff with story and acting and, and, and things like that. You know, to me. Um, you know, I'm really trying to build performances out of people, out of the actors, and and not re- you know not have to rely on you know blood gags as much, because I know that we can do the you know that's that's easy for me. You know, it's just creating a cool you know gore effect. You know, how do I affect people another way? How do you know how do I make people sick another way? So I mean, that's that's the struggle. <laughs> Um, when I was watching Celeterstica, I got a lot of vibes of classic Italian horror films like Zombies, Suspiria, and many others. Were those films huge influences on the writing and filming process? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, you know, we at Joe Tag love all horror movies, um, especially the Argento, Giallo type films. You know, some of my favorites are Tenebrae, you know, Blood and Black Lace. Um... You know, and of course, Fulci. I mean, that the scene at the end of the Red, or excuse me, at the end of Celeterska, where Jade gets impaled on that sharp door. You know, that's that's a full that's a Fulci homage. You know, um, and like, 
the you know the zombie walk and stuff like that. I mean, it's you know I'm influenced by so much. At the time, I'm not like, hey, I'm gonna make this be exactly like a Fulci, you know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna rip off a Fulci shot or whatever. Like that stuff doesn't exist. Why I'm doing it? That's in that's in me, you know. So when I'm directing or when I'm coming up with an idea or or where Jeremy and I are, you know, and Shelby are banging stuff out in our heads trying to come up with something. Of course, that stuff squeaks out because we're just influenced by it so much, you know. Um, I mean, some people would tell me like, "Oh man, Celtarsco is awesome," you know. It's it's like a remake of Death Dream, and I'm like, I'm like, wow, really, Death Dream? And I went back and watched Death Dream, and I'm like, holy shit, I can totally see how people think this is like Death Dream. Or, hey man, you know the Resident Tower? That shit reminds me of Night of the Demons. And I'm like, really, Night of the Demons? And then I watch Night of the Demons, and I'm like, oh wow, you know, there's some there's some cool stuff in here that kind of like is like Night of the Demons. But it's uh, you know it's so far back into my subconscious that I don't realize it. But I'm sure th- I'm sure there's a little bit of flavor from those movies because those movies were fucking influential, totally influential in me. You know, everything that I watch that I, I retain, you know, I it influences me in some way. To me, what makes Selaterska so great is that the characters are so likable that when the violence and stuff starts happening, it's a real it's a real punch in the gut. Um, how was the yeah. film How was the film received when it came out? Like, were the fans down for it? No, you know, the, the fans were like, you know, we knew what was going to happen. You know, the whole movie is a slow burn, and then like the last fifteen minutes of the movie is like falls to the wall. Which I love, you know. That's I love movies like that. I, I love going on a ride and like really getting invested into the characters, and then all of a sudden, like boom, shit happens. Um, you know, some great movies are done like that, uh, and that's the way. And I know, you know, you, you can't please everybody. I've been very lucky, man. That um, you know, the true toe tag fans out there have grown with me as I've grown as an artist. So you know. They're excited to see the evolution, and they know that I bring it. You know, I, I bring that evolution. I want to make the underground genre better. I want to be like, okay, you know, here's an underground movie made for not a lot of money, but you know what? It's got a movie star in it. How did Fred do that? You know, and I tell them, hey, you know, you reach out to people. You do things right. You have the right contracts. You make sure you pay your people, um, you know. And I've, I've watched the underground, ch- you know, change from the, from the influence, you know, that Toe Tag has created through the years. You know, back in the day, man, nobody wanted to touch August Underground. We had to put that out. So we did, we, you know, we pushed self-distribution. We would go to every convention and sell that movie. You know, this is before Facebook and before MySpace and all that stuff. And, you know, we hit the road. We were on the road, to, you know, every convention. And there wasn't even that many conventions at the time. Now there's, you know, hundreds of them. But at the time, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't many of them. And we just had, we were just trying to make our mark. Um, you've talked about it a little bit, but can you, can you go into the final interview and like, you know, what was the influence behind it? And, you know, you don't, of course you don't want to give everything away, but kind of a little bit about the movie. Yeah, sure. Um, so after I made Tell Jessica, I, I, you know, I, I pretty much told Shelby and Jeremy, like, listen, I'm not making another toe tag movie until, or, you know, or even I'm not making any movie until I make my movie Pittsburgh body removal that I've been working on. 
So, you know, it's, and this was, you know, a very big budget, mainstream, but yet dark, twisted movie about these guys in Pittsburgh that pick up the dead bodies. You know, and six years went by of me, you know, going out to California and pitching, having meetings and getting right up to the, you know, right up to the door and money's almost there and then they're falling out on me. And, you know, six years I've, I hustled for this movie. And um, it got to the point to where I was just like, shit, you know, oh my God, I'm like, I can't go another year without making a movie. Like creatively, I'm going crazy. Um, so I had a backup plan. I had this, I had this little, this little movie that I, I thought that if I can, you know, if I can get the right actors, I can make this movie for not a lot of money. And, you know, I, I love the story and this, this will be something that, you know, that I can do in the meantime, if I still have to keep working on Pittsburgh body removal. And once the money fell out again on Pittsburgh body removal, um, I was just like, well, now fuck it. And I'm making the final interview and I'm pay- I'm going to, you know, use my own money and I'm just going to make this movie. And, um, that's really, that's kind of like what happened was this like, it was out of, you know, I, I just, I had to go, I had to go into a smaller bracket because I was aiming, you know, I'm trying to make a, it's her body removal for, you know, a million dollar budget. And, you know, now I had to completely scale that way back to something to where, you know, I can finance it and make this little and make this little movie, you know, right now. And at the time, you know, I have a, a, a really great producer. His name is Ross Putman, and Ross was able to like help me out with all of my SAG contracts. So we were able to get, you know, movie stars to be in the movie. So we have, you know, Granger Hines, who was in Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, and he was on the TV show The Nick. I mean, he's he's uh, a wonderful actor who's been around in the business for you know forty years. Um, and then I got Diane Franklin, who is one of my favorite actresses. And, and since the movie takes place in the eighties, I wanted the eighties icon, and there's no greater eighties icon to me than Diane Franklin. Amityville Horror Two, Better Off Dead, and especially The Last American Virgin um, are super super influential movies on me. So getting able to have her and then, you know, giving Damien the role of a lifetime because I think he, uh, you know, he really got into the part of this, you know, the spree killer, Darius Tidman. And, um, you know, I would, as you know, once this, you know, once the cast was put together and we were able to make this movie, we shot the movie in nine days. Um, but you know, we got it, we got a chance to shoot inside the Greensburg prison and, um, you know, we built this amazing set where we shot all the, in- where we shot the interview, but you know, I haven't seen anything like this movie. You know, this movie is pretty much two dudes talking to each other and, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how people take it when it comes out. We had a screening in Pittsburgh, uh, last August and, uh, the place went nuts and, and really loved the movie. So. I know it's I know, I know it's a it's a, it's a good movie. I just I'm not sure how other people are gonna think, <laughs> think right. about it. Is there any uh, timetable on when we maybe can see when the movie will be coming out? Um. So right now I just got back from Los Angeles finishing the color correction. So this is like my biggest movie to date. So um, you know I've 
I put I'm putting everything that I have into this movie and like you know like I said I was just out in California like color correcting my movie while they're like color correcting Mamma Mia 2 <laughs> in the next room you know what I mean so I mean it like it's it's a it's a big deal this movie um, and I'm just I'm taking my time and doing it right I want it to be the best looking the best sounding uh, piece of art that I possibly can give everybody so it's taking a little bit of time a little bit of time but it'll get there. I know we're both really looking forward to it, and the trailer looked great. And it looks awesome. Um, is there any movement? Is there any movement on a uh, Pittsburgh body removal? Um, well, that's what I'm working on now. Um, I was just out in Los Angeles, uh, you know, doing some stuff out there. So it's I'm kind of trying to, uh, you know, set up meetings and you know, raise the money for this. This is a big, this is a big movie. So I'm hoping that, you know, some of the, these other producers out there can see, you know, what I've done with this movie, the final interview to where it'll be a good stepping stone for me to get Pittsburgh body removal. Well. I think, yeah, I was trying to jump to, I was trying to make a big, huge leap. And, um, you know, that in that, in that time, it was just like one of those things where it's like, I can see the goal, but, you know, I, I can't jump that. It's, you know, it's too far for me to jump. So I, I had to jump to a middle ground, which was the final interview. And I learned so much on that movie. You know, it was the first time I had a movie, tra- you know, we had a movie trailer. You know what I mean? It was, <laughs> you know, it was, it was the first time I had a lot of stuff that I never had before. A um, couple of random questions for you. To you, what is the scariest yeah. And the most disturbing movie ever made. Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's, it's a docu. Gigi Allen hated. It's a documentary, but that shit is is very disturbing. Um, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, how can this person do this?" Um, so that kind of bothered. But as a movie, you know. Um, you know, I think of films like Aftermath, um, you know, Last House in Dead End Street. You know, more of those, those are definitely more of the sick, you know, disturbing kind of movies. Um, and anytime, you, anytime you mix, like, sex and violence and something like that, that's, uh, you know, that can definitely hit a nerve. Last House on the Left. Yeah. I mean, granted, these movies are you know forty years old, but still they're just, just as powerful now as they were then. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What are uh, what are some of your favorite non horror movies? Mm. Um, I love movies like Over the Edge, which is Matt Dillon's first movie. If you've never seen that, that's pretty amazing. Um. I like, you know, I grew up in the 80s, man, so, like, a lot of great movies came out in the 80s. So, like, everything from The Karate Kid to Goonies. Um, you know, I love all that stuff. I, you know, I got a, I got over, you know, I got over 2,500, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays in my collection, so I, I watch a lot of movies. Um, that brings up a great point, too. Uh, the future seems to be... You know, mostly streaming, except for the collectors, 
who enjoy the physical medium has have you thought about your films on um digital anytime soon and what just kind of what's your thought about streaming in general you know well right now you know the totex store has been down for a while and that's because we're you know we've been debating on what we're going to do are we going to release any more physical copies of stuff or are we going to do digital downloads of stuff um and you know i'm not really sure you know right now i'm kind of i'm kind of fine with the movies kind of going out of print for a little while and um you know you let them you know get that mystique back behind them you know um but uh, we definitely, you know, we're definitely all about changing with the times because you just can't be, you can't just stick to the old way. Um, so I'm sure, that, you know, movies coming out in this digital format will definitely happen. I know we're talking with the final interview about streaming rights and, you know, how we're going to do that as well. But I, I'm a collector, so I like physical media, and I'm sure, you know, no matter what we do, there will always be those super limited, you know, things for the collectors out there. You know, when Totec first started, you know, we would do these, like, limited signed movies. And and at that time, man, like, you know, people weren't doing that. So, you know, we, uh, like, the snuff editions we did for the August Underground films, you know, putting different features on there. It's really trying to compete with the bigger companies like Anchor Bay and, and shit like that back in the day. Well, earlier we were talking about uh, pro wrestling and stuff, and I was just wondering what three of your favorites are right now. My three favorite wrestlers? Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, I love, I love AJ Styles. I mean, he's a great technician. He always he puts on a really great match. Uh, I I didn't I didn't want to like him when I first saw him, so I didn't really follow his his career um, at TNA. So when he came over to WWE, I was like, oh, who's this guy? And then I started watching his in ring work, and I'm like, wow, this guy's really good. Uh, who else? I, Charlotte Flair, I think, is phenomenal. Um, she is graceful and strong, and a, you know another great technician that knows how to you know work that ring. And she's also you know great on the mic. And you need that. Um, who else do I like? Mm. You know, I, I I like the Miz. You know. Um, you know, he's a veteran, but, uh, again, he's a great heel. He knows how to work that crowd. He's also a great uh, in-ring performer. And, you know, this guy was a fan first, so I, I can relate. You know, as being a fan of horror and be able to live the dream, he is a fan of wrestling and was able to live the dream. So those are those are a few. Then we're back. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally 10 seconds for us. Yeah, it's fun. Magic of editing. <laughs> <laughs> Magic of editing. It does wonder, especially when you ask really bad questions. Yeah. <laughs> no, people, we keep mentioning this. People, people are going to want to know what it is. But yeah. you got to get to the 30 reviews or you'll never know. Yeah, you get the 30 reviews on iTunes or I guess maybe SoundCloud. I don't know if you review on SoundCloud. Uh, I'm not too worried about SoundCloud as much as I am. iTunes. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Yeah, and you'll you, hear it one day. If we can get the at least 30 reviews on uh, iTunes, I went, I brain farted. Like you did in that interview. Sick on... Th- <laughs> Sick on cinema, the podcast that makes just noises. Sick on cinema, the podcast dedita- dedicated to mental retardation. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> Maybe that was a bit risky to say. Uh, if you're listening to this, my God, come on now. We're talking about <laughs> last week. We talked about movies that featured necrophilia, pedophilia. Come on, touche. <laughs> anyway, let's get to this. We're going to get into the movies now, starting with 2006. Yes. Fred Vogel's, for some, maybe we call it his first narrative film. If, you know. Uh, it's, I don't like to say that necessarily. Because I know some people are like, oh, this is the first time Fred Vogel made a, like, a movie movie. I'm like, that's dumb. I think this is the first time he made a movie that's in the traditional filmmaking style. Yeah. But even then, I hate saying that because I don't know. That makes it seem, like, makes the August Underground movie seem more diminished. I don't know what, what, how to say this. It's the first time he made a movie that most would consider your normal film. And this isn't like a found footage film. Yes. Like, this is a narrative with a cast, beginning, middle, and end. Like every other movie you watch that's not found footage. This that's is, just it. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> is this. So, um, but anyways, after that long, dumb explanation. God, we're bad. This is what is late. <laughs> Maybe it is very late. We got a late start on this one. Yeah, you were busy. Busy. So, this is the Red Sin Tower. <laughs> right off the bat, the character of Mitch reminded me of Elliot Roger. <laughs> Mitch, bitch. Mitch, bitch. Yeah. Did it? Did you get any vibes from that? Uh, well, the first time I saw it, no, because I didn't really even know. I don't. Oh, know. of course, but and probably because like I saw Red Sin. So you know, so it's a long time ago. I guess I just never really <laughs> combined that together, really. Yeah. But Ed Mitch would definitely be an incel, I think. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> feels like one for sure. But uh, you're people, pl- people are like this. People are like him. Oh God, yeah. And it's he pissed me off throughout the movie, and it pisses me off in real life. So your plot for Redson Tower, at its absolute core, is a pretty simple horror film plot. Right. Where you have a group of friends. Some fresh out of high school, some not. A group of, te- a group of teenagers. I don't maybe. think they're teenagers, honestly. They're adults. Um, yeah. Early adults. Young adults. Young adults. Uh, are going to go to a party that gets busted. So they they got to figure out where they're going to go party at next. And one of them's like, hey, we should go to that spooky tower up on the hill, the Red Sin Tower. And they go and they party and spooky, scary things going to happen. But that's only at its basis. <laughs> when you expand that out a little bit, you also have a subplot featuring one of the girls' exes, Mitch, who is a psychopath. Yeah, he is an, he's a piece of shit. Who can't stand the fact that she's broke up with him. So has to... He begins to tr- the stalk him down, basically. Again, it's great screenwriting, mm-hmm. or I probably should just say writing. Well, screen, yeah, it's a great screen, you know, writing. Screenplay. Great, you know, like, all the writing seems so realistic. Like, a lot of these guys in this group, but not necessarily, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. A lot of people in this group remind me of people I would hang out with. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, goof around, have a good time. 
And some of them, they're kind of jockey. Yeah, they're kind of jockey. That's not you know people I'd hang out with necessarily. Yeah. But. Um, you also have uh, in this film as well the backstory of was it Matteo Redson? Yeah, the man behind this castle who practiced alchemy. Yeah, and did some pretty messed up things to people. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie, and I, I've heard some people you know compare this film to uh, Night of the Demons, which I I can kind of see it a little bit. I mean, the the basis is there where you know a group of young adults, teenagers, travel to this spooky house that's you know supposedly haunted and strange thing happens. However, I do not consider Redson Tower a demon possession film. This movie combines a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we have your psycho ex-boyfriend. Slasher style. Yeah, slasher style. And then you have a, you know, possession film with other, like, elements of, like, you know, torture mm-hmm. and all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, like, to me, it's like, I... I People do be become possessed in this film. Yes. But I would not call it a demon possession film because most of the kills and the like danger aspect of the film are not from the possessed people. It's from the unknown forces that will lay within the Redson Tower itself. Yes. Which I mean the exterior is different than the interior of the Redson Tower. For obvious reasons, most time that's how it goes. Yeah, but they gel very well together, and together create a very good sense of dread. You know, as a as a cohesive piece. When you see it, you're like, "Ooh, that that's spooky!" You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> like you're ready for it. And like you said, the writing is very good. The characters are, you know, for the most part, all likable, minus maybe two. Right. You know, and at times they can be kind of shitty people, but you know. Not, they're not, I don't know. They're, they're, I feel like they're very, very realistic people. They're very realistic people, yeah. They all, do, they all have their flaws and they all have their, you know, their, uh, I'm trying to think of the word for it, like. The flaws. <laughs> I was going to get that reference either. The but. character quirks. Yeah, 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 there you go. You know, it's just like the, the people who are, are your, that you're supposed to like are immensely likable. Right. Like your main ca- your main girl, the two, the kind of hippie couple. By the way, seeing Fred go from a psycho killer to a pot smoking hippie mm-hmm. was such a drastic change and a change I was not prepared for in this movie. It's very funny. <laughs> it is very funny. It's a great cameo. Yeah, it is. The movie's a slow burn in in an excellent way. Oh yeah, you know because you really get time to be with these characters and and like take for instance the big football player guy right yeah he you know when you first when you first get to know him he seems just like an oafish asshole right but the more his character kind of develops the more you're like I like this guy you know he's not a bad dude at heart right so when bad things happen to him you're like oh shit you know (laughs) 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 <laughs> Oof. Yeah, exactly. The character development's very good in this film is basically what I'm getting at. Like also something something else I'd like to mention that, you know, adds to this that makes the screenwriting so well as well, is in a lot of horror movies, the the jokes they throw in there are very missed with me. Mm-hmm. In this movie there are parts where the jokes when they're correct make me laugh. Yeah. 
like it blends, you know, the the horror with you know the the bits of comedy very very well. And it's good because that that also adds to the slow burn aspect of it because it just like it keeps it, it you know doesn't necessarily put you in a false sense of security, but more like you know it just creates that you know something bad is going to happen. So the more that like you know these kind of like fun aspects of it too, you're like damn, you know. <laughs> when it when it kind of breaks down into the horror aspect of it, it makes it that much more poignant. Yeah, and, and when some of your favorite characters get you know re, you know took out, it's like, damn, that sucks. Yeah, some masterful effects again by Jeremy Cruz. Oh my god, yeah, like just some really really cool like, you know, this time not just like gore effects, but great like paint work. Oh yeah, on the like some of the characters. Um. And some cool monster designs as well. Yeah. And one in particular, this weird bird thing. Yeah, it's like a weird like gargoyle. Birdy. Yeah, bird, like dinosaur looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> like just some awesome work by Jeremy Cruz, which that guy, <laughs> Jesus, you know. He deserves more props <clears throat> in the effects community. I mean, if you're making a horror film and you can afford Jeremy Cruz, then you're doing yourself an injustice not bringing him in. Yeah. Him um, or Marcus Cook, you know, that's the two guys. Those are the two to guys. me. That's the standard bearer of makeup effects. Yes. Um, I will say something, but I'm oh, sorry. I probably talked over your teeth. Forgot it. <laughs> I'm bad uh, for that. Just keep talking. I'll remember. Um. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, um, I just like the 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 build of everything. You know, everything, all the pieces fit so perfectly all the way up until the the finale, which you know, like. The finale is really crazy, honestly. Yeah, but also very subtle. So, a question I mean, we probably should have asked Fred about this movie is the you the you know uh, the building itself, the mm-hmm. Resident Tower. Yes. Like I know a lot of it was made. Yeah. And it looks great. Like if all of it was made, then that's insane. Well, I think Christy. Wiles, who is uh, from Mortem and Penance, yeah, is the one behind like the set design and stuff, like set design and costumes. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure she was the one who did that stuff. See, it, it looks crazy. Like it looks like you would imagine it would. Mm-hmm. And man, this this movie may be my favorite. That Fred's made. It's it's an awesome little horror film <clears throat> that I don't think actually gets the credit it deserves. Like I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's Fred Vogel's best movie, but I don't think it still to this day doesn't not quite get the the respect it it's due. Right. Because it's just a really fun horror film that kind of you know still pushes the boundaries though. Yeah, I mean there are moments that are you know pretty extreme, pretty rough. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's I don't think there's any moments really in this one that are just as bad or worse than some of the stuff you yeah, see in like, the Hawks Underground trilogy. It still takes toe tags like, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, toe tags kind of like viciousness and it's grisly imagery, right? Yes. And combines it with a more 80s style horror film. To create this cool little hybrid of like, you know, being very visceral while still being manageable for mm-hmm. a more mainstream audience. 
Which there's stuff in this movie I feel like most, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily casual horror fans, but, excuse me, <laughs> people who, <laughs> people who, you know, don't really get involved in a lot of the extreme stuff, a lot of stuff they could probably handle. Mm-hmm. You know, in comparison to films like a Serbian film where it's just, yeah. you know, and Mortem, which is just relentless assaults on your senses. Mm-hmm. And I want to clarify my statement just a little bit. I'm not saying that Fred Vogel made this to be a mainstream horror film. Oh, no. I don't think that was ever... I think I think he made absolutely made the movie he set out to make. Oh, of course. Like, he was never, like, bending to, to the whim of a mainstream audience. What I'm saying is, like, it kind of combines Totag's, you know, very visceral, you know, style... And and melds it with something that's a little more palatable for a mainstream audience, more so than say the August Underground films. Yes, <clears throat> but the movie, like great atmosphere, great soundtrack, which you know in the interview we learned that freaking Pig Destroyer. Yeah, this is sure I'm right yeah, now. you know which the guy. No one's seen this. But. Well, Stephen Moore, I believe his name is, is one of the guys. He wasn't the only guy. The guy was a, the guys from uh, Zombie, I believe, is the name of the band. Uh, I think so. Did the soundtrack. But Stephen Moore did some of the stuff from, and he's from Big Destroyer, so that was really cool to find out. Yeah, that's crazy. Though I love the final shot. I love the characters. Yeah, all the characters are either relatable, or you just, you know, you want that and, character dead. And to meld this supernatural horror film with like this like dark drama of you know an, a lover scorned, if you will, right. you know, such a really cool ideal. It's not done extremely often, mm. though, is it? No, you know, but some people will watch it and be like, this is boring. But that's just, you know, it's like, you gotta have patience. It pays off. Also, um, I feel like there's two ways to introduce someone to Fred's films. I either go with this one and, you know, ease people's way into, you know, the more Toe harder tag. stuff. <laughs> or just drop them, you know, headfirst into the deep, into the depths with the August Underground movies. August Underground, bitch. Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with it. Deal with yeah. it, bitch. <laughs> that's, that's what I did. Yeah. I watched the, <laughs> the first three back to back. We wanted to cover the August Underground films as a whole. Yes. But this actually came out in between Mortem and Penance. So, yeah. So, um, of course, you know, we wanted to cover the the trilogy by itself and then get into the other films on their own. Yeah. So. But I know for a long time they were kind of looking for um, distribution for Red Sin. Yeah. Because they, you know, they felt like this was a movie that could find a home mm. and, and, you know, a way to, like, put it into more hands than what you could through self-distribution. Yes. So they tried, but they really never could find a deal that was good, you know. Yeah. 2006 was a rough time. Like basically, if you sold your 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 movie to a distribution label that wasn't like I don't know, you know, like a niche label, you were basically selling the right to your movie away. Yeah, and you do not want a Texas Chainsaw deal. Exactly, and that's kind of <laughs> what they were being offered, basically. So they'd already put out the August Underground movies themselves. But I think with the release of Red Sin, which happened, I believe, after Penance, which Red Sin was made before Penance, yeah, but released after Penance, if that makes any sense. If you follow me, yeah, I, I follow you. <laughs> um, I mean, that in its own right is immensely um, influential. 
incommendable. Because Toe Tag, you know, they put out the August Underground movies by themselves. Yes. But to take this, their next project, which, you know, was a movie that they could have sold to a label, mm. but they were like, we're not taking these shit deals. You know, we're, we were really proud of this movie, and we're not just going to give it to just anybody. We're not going to give it to just a group of, you know, idiots. Yeah. But we're going to release it ourselves. Yes. And then from man now out, all movies we make, we will release ourselves. And that that's insane, like, especially mm-hmm. for the time. Yeah, for the time, like, that's huge. If, you, if your film was not put out by a company, then there's, there's little chance of it getting seen. I mean, even, like, you know, the 90s... You know, the internet started growing. Hmm. But even in the early 2000s, like, buying stuff off the internet wasn't as popular as it is today. Like, I was listening to, you know, last podcast, and they said that the the past is anywhere between 2001 and back. Yeah. And between 2004 and forward is the future mm-hmm. of technology. Because yeah. 2004 is kind of like when... Technology started to become more prevalent, but, it, but even then, like even like two, still rough. you know, two thousand six, two thousand nine, even like buying stuff off the internet wasn't as as popular as it was now. Yeah, people had you know a lot of you know they were people were kind of afraid of it. Honestly, you know they were you know identity theft and stuff like that. So to be like. We're gambling ourselves. We are rolling the dice on our own movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to be successful at it, I think is immensely influential because that's so many independent filmmakers now. So many independent filmmakers are like, I'm releasing my own movies. I'm not dealing with the middleman. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. But, you know, <clears throat> who knows without Toe Tag if that would have... I mean, a lot of things with Toe Tag, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, found footage, like serial killer films, you know, how prevalent would those really be Yeah, if it wasn't for the, you know, the trilogy or, you know, independent, you know, production, if it would have gotten as big as it is now, if it wasn't for Fred and the rest of Toe Tag and and special effects. Yeah. Like, special effects for Toe Tag are so ahead of their time compared to, you know, so much, especially on the independent scene. And it's it's just crazy how influential Toe Tag and Fred really yeah. are. Because, well, you know, to me it's like, for so long it was like, if you distributed your own movies, you burned your own discs, right? Mm-hmm. It was seen as you just burning DVDRs and putting them into shitty boxes and putting them in the mail, right? <laughs> yeah. It was seen as kind of like a failure kind of thing. Like, you couldn't get mainstream distribution, so you just had to put it out yourself. Toe Tag is like, we could have. We could have sold the Red Sin. But we chose not to because all the deals were awful. We want to control the rights to our movie. I mean, think about all the directors and you know production companies that work by themselves now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dustin Mills, someone we've covered before. Yep. Um, someone, people in the future, like James Bell and Rock Bottom Video. Yep. They all put their stuff out by themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's... Because and of toe tag, it's not uncommon nowadays to see a like someone like uh, take a Phil Stevens who did Flowers and Lung. Yeah, you know he did an independent release first and then did a, you know then found distribution. Yeah, and uh, I, I I apologize to the guy. Uh, 
I forgot his name. The guy who did Flesh of the Void. James Quinn. Didn't he put that by, him, put that by himself as well? Uh, Black Lava put that out. Black Lava. But Black Lava is a super independent company, so. Well, yeah. You know. It's still in another company. Yeah. And it's just crazy. A lot of stuff that came from Fred and the rest of Toe Tag. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are other projects as well. But final thoughts on the Red Sin before we move on? It's a fantastic movie. I feel like it's definitely one of Fred's best. And, I, don't know, I mean, I highly recommend you watch it. Yep. And especially if you want to ease your way into Fred's films, this may be the one to start with. But, again, if you just want to jump in, then maybe start with the, the trilogy and yeah. work your way through everything else. I agree. I agree with all that. Red Sin is just a really good, fun, but at the same time, heavy-hitting movie. Yes. So, 2009... Which would have been my, this is my, like, I at this point I'd already seen August Underground. Maybe it's in Red Sin, but this was my first, like, I'm a Toe Tag fan, and I see the trailer, and I pre-order it, and I get it. You know? Yeah. This was the first one for me as a Toe Tag fan. And that is from 2009, which I think I already said. Yes, you did. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> the Murder Collection. Volume 1. And again, this movie is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) This movie, again, is a lot like, you know, know, the inspirations behind it, chaotic. Mm -hmm. And it is disturbing. Yeah. And it covers so many different variants of death. Yep. It's like Faces of Death, but 100% fake. Yes. Uh, it's just, like, there's so many segments, you know, to deal with, you know, as I said, you know, m- murder. Mm. There's, you know, CC- CCTV footage. I have a hard time saying that. CCTV. <laughs> uh, you know, webcams. Uh, you know, just cameras. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, so much, like, there's so much, you know, variety of what you'll get here. Yeah. And I'm... In the interview, as you guys heard, a lot of this, you know, came from the, the, was it the Three Guys, One Hammer mm-hmm. video? Shock videos. Yeah, shock videos as a whole. Him and, was it Jeremy Cruz? Yeah. Talked about just doing their own and seeing how that would work out. And I feel like they nailed it. Yeah, very. I think it's very successful. Essentially, you know, to give a kind of a rough plot of what Murder Collection Volume 1 is, it is an anthology-like film. Yeah. Um, hosted by this mysterious figure named Balin, who at one point had a internet show that he dared viewers to watch murders caught on tape. Uh, it was seized by the feds. Yes. So now he releases these collections of his most vile tapes. And this is the first volume. And unfortunately, as of now... The only volume, but <laughs> that's what Murder Collection Volume One is, and through there you get various segments of death caught on tape. I mean, already you know, you know, getting attention by you know police and other media, you know, for you know releasing these things already puts me in the mind of the controversy that happened with Rotten dot com, Best Score, and Best Score. Yeah, because of you know Luca McNaughton and whatnot. Yeah. Um. I have heard people talk about this film, and uh, 
for example, the very first thing, the very first segment is this Russian dude who actually is uh, will, <laughs> will be way more prevalent in uh, some of the next two movies. Yes. Uh, is beat to death by his father. And it's brutal. <laughs> but I've heard people say, like, uh, there's just so much... There's so there's so much wasted time. There's so much, like so much long take, so many long takes, and it's boring. And I'm like, well, this is just like, that's way more realistic. Because if yeah, someone edited, realistic. if you edit the air out of it, then it's like you're editing it. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> when you go online and you watch some of this stuff, I mean, it's not edited together in a way. You know, to fit your liking, yeah, it's, it's just the clips. Yeah, it's just the video. You know, Balan is just showing you the unedited tapes. He's not cutting these things together. Right. It's not a compilation. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, it's not a compilation of people getting murdered like you see on like strange meme compilations on iFunny occasionally. He didn't put together. <laughs> he didn't put together some dang ass EDM music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The rude sandstorm over it. <laughs> I was not ready for the rude sandstorm. Okay. So to me, it's like, <laughs> if I'm filming myself and someone comes up and shoots me in the back of the head, yeah, there's going to be a long period of like nothing because I'm dead. Who's turning the camera off? Right. You know? <laughs> but to me, that's more frightening because it like gives you time to think. That's the way I've always seen it. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, what's what's going to happen in this situation? Well, some of these are really quick. Yeah, some of them are. Like, like, like if you take the last one, for example, which is this group of, like, scary, thuggy black dudes, not meaning that in a racist way. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they are. <laughs> a, a group of th- th- thugs. Yeah, kidnap this girl, and that is all cut together and edited. Yeah. Because they're editing these tapes and sending it to this guy for ransom. And one of the, the quickest ones is ATM, where this guy's at an ATM. And he gets brutally attacked by somebody. He gets got. Who? <laughs> 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 he, he he gets goofed. To me, the scariest segments in this one are the like security camera ones. Yeah, because they're they're so realistic. Especially the robbery one, because I work at a place that could easily be robbed. Right. <laughs> yeah, this probably wasn't the best thing for you. to People watch. know. <laughs> you know, I constantly get asked all the time. Y'all do pretty good, don't you? Oh. Right? Yeah. You're like, yeah, we make we make pretty good money here. I mean, it's a dollar general. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it's a dollar, it's a chain. It is. I didn't really want to say that, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to cut it out or nothing. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Now I'm going to definitely get robbed. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, oh, God. you know. So, like, when I watch that, I'm like, that's probably how it would go down. Yeah. You know, and it's really scary. <laughs> it's really, really scary. Go or, on. I stop at an ATM all the time after work at night. Yeah. That's scary to see. That is you very I mean? scary. I mean, and also, like, there's one where it's, like, this group of, uh, well, I, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's, like, kind of, like, based on, like, cartel. See, I thought like, they were terrorists, just kind of based around the era it came out in. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing was so, so prevalent, like, the beheadings and stuff. Yeah. And it just kind of makes you think, you know, what if I'm, you know, driving home alone at night or, you know, with, like, one other person and we get, you know, kidnapped and attacked by these guys. Yeah. It's all scary. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of this stuff is stuff that happens. 
And I mean, there's a few segments in here that may not be extremely realistic, I guess. Mm. I mean, a couple. Like what? Maybe, uh, uh, was it Broadway Rob? Broadway Rob. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's not realistic by any means. Of course, you know, we don't see a lot of that. I mean, it's a movie at the same yes, time. Yes, it's, it's, it, at its core, it's a film. Mm-hmm. That's meant to entertain. But, I mean, as I said, there's only like a couple, I feel like, are, you know, stretching a little bit. I think that's, that one and Jason's, Could you could argue. Yeah. Or, which, you know, you heard last week Jason talk about his segment in this movie. But it doesn't change the fact that they're awesome segments. Jason's is my favorite segment. Yeah, Always has been. Yeah. It's one of the most creative segments for, I mean, any of these you know, type of movies that I've ever seen. And, you know, the reason I talk, asked Jason so many times about, you know, acting and stuff like that is because he does such a good job. Yeah, and I think he said he didn't have, like, a ton of experience beforehand. Mm-hmm. And he's so real. Yeah, very real. Yeah, so real and so raw in mm-hmm. his performance. And, of course, you know, even in the, in the interview, he talks about that. You know, the reasons behind it. Yeah. And he, like, he also said in the interview, like, he gets so aggressive. That he broke the prop acts. Mm-hmm. And it's it's crazy. It's like just subtle little things he does, like look back at the monitor and, you know, just like, you know, like mess around like with his hands mm-hmm. and just you know sit there and like silence. And when he talks about not ever seeing it snow before, right? You know, and it could e- that segment could easily end up cheesy, like because the final line is, you know, you know, she once said that her heart belongs to me. I'm gonna make sure it does, right? Yeah, that easily could come off super cheesy if not done right. But, like, you feel, like, the venom and hatred in that guy when he says that. So it's not cheesy. It's scary. Yeah, he's... And first of all, Jason's a big dude. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't met Jason yet. Hopefully he'll be at Horror Hound this year. Shout out to Jason. I know we do it all the time, but that guy's very... He's, you know... He's helped us out so So much. much, you know. Like, it cannot be understated how much that guy's helped us out. But anyways, you know... And that's not us being biased. I mean, I, I'm... I lo- I knew and loved this segment before I ever met Jason and talked to him. Yeah. So I'm not being biased in the least. But when, like, he's so likable and you feel so bad for him when he's talking about all this stuff while, that stu- while the girl, his wife is cheating on him back there. Mm. When he busts into that room. It's horrifying. It is scary because he is intense. Yeah. He, as I said, he unleashes... Every bit of anger inside of him. Yeah, all of his frustrations out. <laughs> and that segment's scary. And it's not even like it's impossible for that, you know, that segment to, you know. Happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the what's his name? Ricardo. Is it Ricardo? No. I don't remember his name. He's the Bjork stalker. Oh, yeah, yeah. That guy filmed himself all the time. Yeah, he filmed himself all the time. And including, you know, not like CCTV, like in this one. But it's very scary. Like, the Bjork Stalker stuff is some of the scariest stuff I've ever, you know, read or, you know, listened to. And it's, and I see a lot of that within this segment. In a way, it's just, I guess it's like the everything, like, boiling up inside. Mm-hmm. It's, it's horrifying to me. And, you know, the use of sound design in this one is so good, too. Because it, it, it clicks 
the realism in your head when you hear him drag the axe off camera and you hear the weight and you hear the metal dragging against the floor. Oh. So that when he hits her with it, you know, your brain is for a brief moment almost tricked. Mm. She's like, I heard that thing. That's an axe, you know? Oh, yeah. With an axe. <laughs> but anyways. Uh, shouts, shouts the last You know, I compared it to like pro wrestling, like when someone gets a baseball bat in pro wrestling and they hit it against the guardrail. Yeah. You know, it's like, bang! And you like, that's a real bat. <laughs> so like, you're like, if he hits that guy with that bat, it's going to mess him up. You know, kind of the same Hell thing. It's like, you know it's fake. However, because they've showed you it's real, it creates a sense of like, Anxiety, you know. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jeremy Cruz once again. Good lord! This one, the the autopsy scene is probably his crowning achievement. It's of unbelievable. Makeup effects, so good. That the body looks insane. Mm-hmm. Like if you've ever seen autopsy footage before, or any like like dead body before, it looks like this. Yeah. It looks identical to this, and they could have easily just had the skin on the face, you know, peeled back and never and never show it. And they do, and they show the inside of the mouth and everything. Yeah, it's really good. It's really really good. And and there's another effect in this movie that I think is just masterful is the uh, decapitation oh, scene yeah. in the terrorist slash cartel slash some kind of group. It's brutal because you can spot the cut in that one from when it becomes a body. Mm. But the effect is so damn good, and they like the body's kind of moving, and I'm assuming it's just you know them kind of like using it as a puppet almost. Yeah. That it still kind of tricks your mind. You're like, all right, what's good? Oh, okay, that's a that's an effect because you can't do that to a real human and not kill right. them. Right. Because it just looks so damn good. Yeah, I mean, all of the segments in this one pack some kind of punch. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's rough. Uh, the uh, the bullying scene. Yeah, with... Uh, Gromer. Yeah, Gromer. Played by Jay, who yeah. is, uh, you know... Another uh, face in the uh, YouTube horror community. Yep, yep. <laughs> Man, you kind of stuttered on that part. I'm not sure nah, what happened. I, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> he does a great job as well. Yep. That whole segment's super believable. I've seen shit like that basically happen, other than, you know, what happens to him. Like, you see this shit happen at school. You mm-hmm. see it happen probably at your work. And we were talking about it, too. Is like, you know, he's getting mad, but he's kind of still playing along with it. And I think you were kind of like, you know, you know how far has it got to go? And I was like, well, you know, I've seen people like, I mean, we're just messing with you, man, you know. Yeah, they just keep going You're just on. one of the boys, you know. We're just messing with you. <sighs> you know, it's 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 messed up. <laughs> and that seems so good, too, because it's like they immediately just start like, like, after they stab him, they're just like, Fuck you, man. You know, I yeah. ain't going down for this. <laughs> but, uh, any last words on Murder Collection before we move on? Uh, it's, it's, again, another movie is an assault on your senses. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot more subtle than the August Underground films, but equally as biting. Yeah. You know? And again, like, I mean, come on. I've said this a million times already. I recommend it. Highly. Fun little quip before we move on. I once showed this movie to a person and told them it was all real. Oh, you did? I did. <laughs> and what happened? Uh, they thought it was all real until I told them. What, who, who was that? I'll tell you off air. I okay. Don't wanna, I don't want to call the person out, but... That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's probably a dick thing to do, really. It got to the Broadway, uh, Broadway Rob scene, and then the guy we were watching it with who also knew it was not oh, yeah. real was like... 
you gotta tell him this is <laughs> like, this is too much. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, but uh, 2009, same year. <laughs> Jesus, the most productive year of Tote. <laughs> <laughs> we have a film that's very divisive in Fred Vogel's film catalog, and that is Maskhead. I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> oh, I bet tore it out. <laughs> so, Maskhead is a weird one. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, what you have here, you have this lesbian couple. One is Shelby Vogel, Fred Vogel's wife. Yes. Who run this porn company. And they're auditioning actors for various roles in various films. But one of their mainstays is this movie series called Maskhead. Yes. Which is this big, burly son of a bitch <laughs> who's covered in bandages and metal. Yeah, his mask reminds me of, like, if you guys have seen the covers of this, oh, is it The Dead Next Door? The Dead Next Door. Yeah, it reminds me of that. It's very so, similar to that. So if you know what that looks like and you haven't seen what Maskhead looks like, just keep that in mind. And put and a big, scary, burly son of a bitch in there. Yeah, put someone who looks like uh, WWE's Kane yeah. underneath this mask and bandages and you've essentially got Maskhead. And essentially <laughs> what the Maskhead series is is they start as typical fetish porn films. Yes. But at some point Maskhead captures them, tortures them, and murders them. Yes. And but you also have a character of Cowboy who is kind of like the uh, the talent agent. For this company. <laughs> yeah, I essentially watched this movie twice, back to back. Because I watched it, you know, on my own. And then whenever you were watching it, I was talking to you while you were watching it. And mm. then we were watch- I was watching it again. Yeah. And at first, I'm not going to lie about the cowboy character. At first, I, I didn't really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I was you know, sitting down and, you know, watching more of it. It, it, not more of it, you know what I'm saying. I was watching it again. And I, I was more impressed the, the the second time around of, the, you know, the, the character and the the way the character is. Because mm-hmm. at first, I, I don't... I don't that, that was a weird day. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we've had those days. Here's the thing. You know, if you dislike this movie, you're not alone. There's... You know, it is definitely Fred's most divisive film. You either like it or you don't. You know? Yeah. There's really no middle ground with it. Um, personally, you know, I can't say that I'm, like, in love with the movie. Mm. Like, it's no Red Sin or Murder Collection or Celtersica or August Underground. Like, it's my least favorite of all of them. But there's still something about it that I like. And I, and I think Fred kind of hit the nail on the head in the interview when he was talking about it, it's like a, if John Waters made a very violent horror movie. Because it has these over-the-top, crazy, not-real-world, you know, like these people don't exist in the real world kind of characters, you know. I guess I didn't I didn't catch that at first. Like, I didn't catch the, the whole fact that this is not supposed to be, like, in a real-world environment. Mm. This is over-the-top people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cowboy is insane. He is insane. But I love his stories. Like, I love listening to that guy just tell stories. I'll never forget that hotel scene. (laughs) I will never forget that. (laughs) It's embedded in the back of my mind. Uh, This was written by Scott Swan, the man who also wrote Cigarette Burns, which is my favorite episode of Masters of Horror. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and he does a hell of a job with that one. You know, and, you know, there's there's an argument to be made that maybe he was like, he felt the freedom of toe tag. And maybe, like, was like, Bleh! <laughs> you know, a little bit. You know, he may can rein that in a little bit. But, I don't know. There's There's something appealing about this movie to me. And I think it is that bizarre combination of buzz, like weird silly characters at times mm. with some of the most grisly brutal kills in any toe tag movie <laughs> yeah for sure like the, the 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 kills in this movie are rival anything in any of the toe tag movie like they are absolutely vicious especially the end Mm-hmm. Which I I'm not gonna spoil. No, I wouldn't spoil. <laughs> but like for instance, there's the uh, the famous arm breaking scene where they have this guy's Jesus. like arm in between these two boards and he just punches it, oh. and it <laughs> it's so brutal. It and is. again, such a great effect because it's so simple. You just run the hand, and so the actor's hand can actually act while mm-hmm. the prosthetic is built above it. So he's like ah, and you see the prosthetic, and you're like oh how what <laughs> you know like there's the yeah. arm, but. Uh, <laughs> It looks cr- it, it looks crazy. Just little things too, like adding a little bit of sweat onto it, a little bit of dampness. You know? Yeah, that's so smart. Jeremy Cruz once again. Yeah, my biggest problem with the film has always been the editing. Yeah, it's edited very strange. It's non-linear, and it doesn't feel like it needs to be non-linear. Like that doesn't feel like it adds anything to the film. Like it makes it feel like things just happen when there is clearly an order. But I don't know. Like, and like I said, I, I don't love the movie. It's it's definitely my least favorite toe tag film. Uh, me, for me too. But, but it it still works for me, and I I can understand. Like, if anyone comes up to me and is like, "Man, I just don't like Masked," I'd be like, "I get it," you know. Yeah. But you also got to understand that Fred didn't write it, so there is things about it that aren't Fred Vogel. You know what I mean? So, some of the things like what what I like, this is gonna be really weird a really weird combo, but you may may you may get what I'm coming from. A lot of, this movie to me felt like a combination of the movie Motel Hell, of course Cigarette Burns, and uh, like John Waters film. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's like uh, Pink Flamingos meets Snuff One Hundred Two. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that movie. That movie's brutal. Or like Hostel or something like that. Oh, it's better, way better than Hostel. I I don't like those movies personally, but you know, to each their own. Yes, but it's just so, it's so weird because like you have Cowboy talking about how like was it <laughs> he sticks a uh, he sticks an ice cube up his ass to get hard. Oh God, right? yeah. And like you're like that's so ridiculous, but then like. Maskhead puts a bag over this girl's head and pours gasoline over it so he's, he's asphyxiating her and then he starts bashing her with this mallet. It's and you're like, oh my God. Or like the scene where like <laughs> he wraps this girl in complete plastic and starts sawing her apart. Mm-hmm. And using the plastic to keep her from bleeding out. And, and not too long before that, you see this whole porn segment where this guy's a dog and, yeah. they, and they wants her to eat shit. Yeah. It's it you know the John Waters comparison is right on the money because it's these just these weird characters that just revel in their own filth. That is true. 
Also, something else is the ads they present. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> you can't talk about Mask Head without talking about the Mask Head song. <laughs> Mask Head, <laughs> So good. That's what I'm saying. Like, this movie, like, is not 100% serious, but, man, does it, like, become bipolar in its, like, tones. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, you're like, damn, this cowboy guy is so... Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> it goes from like, oh, God. <laughs> that's that's kind of funny. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Also, like, I feel like uh, Cowboy's one of the best characters in any Toe Tag movie. God, he's so like, bizarre. He's so over the top and crazy, but he's just like so fascinating, and you can just listen to him talk for hours. And then Maskhead is just, he looks awesome. Yeah. Like, these little things, like, he's covered in bandages and his mouth, like, the skin around his mouth is gone. Yeah. You know, these little, like, you're like, what's, who is, what is this guy? Like, what is Maskhead? Yeah. Is Maskhead even human? Yeah, because he's super strong. He's ridiculously strong. Frighteningly strong. But, anything else you want to say about Maskhead before we move on? Yeah, of course I'm going to recommend it, because... I mean, it's still, I feel like it's a good movie, for sure. Mm. But it may not be everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Like I said, if anyone comes up to me and be like, man, I just can't get in the mask yet, I'm like, completely understand. Yeah. It's not, I don't go to it all the time. Like, if I'm wanting to watch a Fred Vogel movie, it's not my first choice. But I still think it's absolutely worth your time. And if you kind of like, you know, go into it not expecting August Underground or, or Red Sin or something like that, but think of it as a, like... John Waters torture film. Yeah, and don't try to put it in within like the normal world. Yeah, that's not what this movie is. Much like Divine in like Pink Flamingos, like that person God. does not exist. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but yeah, I recommend it. Give it a try. If you don't like it, hey, whatever. <laughs> you can email us and say, <laughs> like, damn, why'd you make me watch Mask? <laughs> I mean. Like, you, you at least like Galboy, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. You at least thought he was at least interesting. Mm-hmm. So. so last but certainly not least, 2010's Selatursaka. Also, the pug in this movie is absolutely adorable. Fulci! I want it. I know. Fulci gets dead ass. He gets dusted. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping relevancy on the memes. Yeah, it won't be relevant within a year, though. I guarantee <laughs> it. A week? What are you talking about? A week? <laughs> Thanks. So, essentially, Selaturska tells the story of this family preparing for their family member, the son, the brother, if you will, mm. to come home. He disappeared one day at war. His whole crew, his whole platoon, yeah. gone. And then all showed up together. Right? In a different country. Well, they took him to another country. Yeah. They okay. found him out in the desert. So he's coming home, and they're all preparing for him. And when he gets there, Brad, who's the main character, is sickly. He's in a wheelchair. He has no clue what happened to him. The doctors don't know why he can't walk. And he comes home, and things just kind of start to get worse and worse and worse <laughs> until... A truly toe taggy and grizzly end. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, this is my favorite Fred Vogel movie. My favorite toe tag film. This this one between this one and Red Sin for sure are neck and neck 
because this movie, again, similar to uh, Red Sin in a way, is a slow burn. Very slow burn, yep. I feel like this one's a bit more of a slower burn than mm-hmm. Red Sin. And, but I don't know, like, some people just can't handle the slow burn. Like, I feel like they just, like, their attention span or whatever it may be, you know, pulls their pulls them away from a slow burn film. But I never find this movie boring. No. Because there's always something happening. Also, I don't understand why people don't like slow burns. Because I, don't I feel like there's nothing uh, crazier than a movie that starts off, you know, slow and just gets chaotic yeah. towards the end. I, I love that. I do too, personally. And it gives you so much time to identify with these characters and to, you know, learn about them and, you know, get into them and learn to like them. So that when bad things happen, it makes it much worse, mm-hmm. you know, than if it's just like some random camp counselor gets hacked in the head. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. No. I like that just as much as the next person. Yeah, right. But if you like that person, you know, it makes it much, much more poignant. It makes it harder to watch, you know. I, I've, I've got my mic up to my mouth. You're, you've been drifting this whole episode. Uh, okay. <laughs> I swear you have. But I ain't lying. All right. <laughs> I feel like it it's makes, late. <laughs> it's like two o'clock in the morning. But Brad is a likable character. Very. And the actor. Whew, God, that guy's so good. Yeah, he is so good. Do you have his name wrote down? I don't. Of course, I don't. Because I'm an idiot. You didn't give. I know I did. Um, Let me look it up. Yeah, sure, look it up because he deserves. All the credit in the world, he does, and you know, and it's one of the big reasons I'm so looking forward to the final interview because he's the man, one of the main characters, and it is well. And the trailer looks amazing. He's he's so likable in this movie that when the worst he gets, the you just feel so bad and like you just want him to succeed, but you know that ain't happening. This is toe tag. I am not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Well, you're gonna have to kind of try. Oh God! Here we go. <laughs> Don't do this to me. <laughs> Damien Maruskak? Sure. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. He's also in Maskhead. Yes, he is. And Murder Collection. It also, I am so sorry I butchered your name. <laughs> I guarantee I did. The guy is so good. Yeah. There's a great scene where he's trying to tell this story about a monkey. And it just keeps, like, drifting out of, like, consciousness. Yeah. And it's just, it's heartbreaking and scary. And like you just like you just like what's happening to him? Like what is going on? And then when, like when you finally do figure out what is happening, man, you're ain't ready for it. No, you're like holy shit. You know the acting in this movie ranges. I think some of it's really good, some of it's you know kind of weak. But I think they all feel like they genuinely like each other, mm. and I think that allows you to feel that way as well. Like for instance, uh, the guy with the tattoos. Yes, um, which. On Letterbox, it doesn't have his name on there. I don't think. Well, that sucks. But <laughs> yeah, Letterbox has has let me down a couple times. It, it has. It's I love Letterbox. Though, yeah, but uh, Letterbox is a great app. Sponsor us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I would never say the guy's a great actor. Like some of the emoting scenes, he struggles with a little bit. But he's so likable and he's so like believable. I feel like he's very real though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like that. That makes it all the much worse when all the bad things go down. Yeah, it, this movie's sad. It's very sad. It has a very like depressing, sad tone throughout the. You know, I think I, 
I don't know if I told Fred. I think I told Fred that like it's my favorite, but it's also my least watched because it's just like it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's such a like uh, uh, it, it's a you know it's not as disturbing as it is just depressing. Also, there's because I look I looked it up you know see if there's you know if, if it's something they made up or if it was real or not. Mm-hmm. The the reference to a term called dub dubs dub dubs, that that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like these weird like lizard creatures that just live in the Middle East. <laughs> that's yeah. good. I mean, that's that's. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, you know, little things like that definitely add to the film. But yeah, like the like it it's it's disturbing in the way Requiem for a Dream is disturbing. Yeah. The way Threads is disturbing, but not oh. as, you know, Threads is... Oh, God, Threads. I, like, I had nightmares about Threads. Threads is on its own level. You know what I mean? Threads is on a new level. But it's that same, like, it's not It's not about the graphicness. It's not about how vile it can be and how nasty. It's all about, like, just how bad it makes you feel. Yeah, because, I mean, you enjoy all these characters and you enjoy watching them on film. And then when bad shit happens, when someone takes the shit and throws it into the ceiling fan, it just makes you feel really bad by the end. Like, they easily could have went like the Patrick route with this, where like Brad comes home and he's completely catatonic, right? Yeah. But that wouldn't have worked as well. Like, the fact that you get to know this guy before, like, he's already looks bad. Yeah. But you kind of get the, you get a glimpse of who he is and like, how come everybody was so excited for him to come home. So that when you start watching him break down, it just, it's like, damn it. <laughs> like, it's, you just want it to, like, to work out, but you're like, this is toe tag. It ain't working out. Like, something <laughs> bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. And something bad does happen. Yeah. Also, the character of Gavin. Mm, yeah, Gavin. Oh, man. He's a, he's the unintentional asshole. He's the unintentional I, There's times where I kind of feel bad for Gavin. Yeah. Like, cause I think I think his moments of like his true ass holy moments it comes from just frustration, <laughs> and I've done that. You know what I mean? Of course. We're like, you're just like, well, that thing you like, what fucking sucks, <laughs> and you suck for liking it. You know, you don't actually mean that, but yeah, like he just seems like he feels like uncomfortable. He's the outsider. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's much different than everyone. In the and he's family. selfish. He's definitely a selfish person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but. He's also young. Yeah. So, I don't know. I really like his character, too. His ga- his character is kind of fun, especially when he's playing you know, the video games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And talking about, you know, EDM music, which is also something that's kind of made up its time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is, you know, this was one of the first Toe Tag movies. Actually, it is, as of now, the first Toe Tag and only Toe Tag movie to get, like, a real big name in it. With uh, I Spit on a Grave Star, Camille Keaton. Yeah. And I love Cell Tersica. Yes. And I love this movie. Uh, it's the same thing. I don't know why I said that. I love Toe Tag. I love Fred. I love Camille Keaton. Yes. But I have to be honest. I would feel that I'm not doing my job <laughs> or not being truthful to the podcast if I don't mention the fact that I feel like Camille Keaton does a really bad job in this movie. I mean, in the interview with with Fred, he does talk about this is like her first film yes. in a while, which that's understandable in my opinion. Yes, it is understandable. But this is her 
worst performance I feel like that yeah. I've seen by yeah. her. But it, it's it is unfortunate. But at the same time, I understand why, mm-hmm. and I'd probably be in the same situation too. So yeah, you know, I never want us to stray away from being honest. Of course, you know. So if something isn't good, I've got to come out. I will always give my honest opinion. So like, when I say Maskhead, I like Maskhead. Mm-hmm. I'm not just saying that because we interviewed Fred and he might listen to this. Right. I actually like Maskhead. I do not like Camille Keaton's performance in this movie. Yeah, I mean... I think she's very wooden, very stiff. Yeah. Unnatural, you know. And I I hate to say it, because I love Camille Keaton. You know what I mean? Yeah. I Spit on Your Grave, her performance I Spit on Your Grave is masterful. At times haunting. Yeah. She's even good in Savage Vengeance, which is one of the shittiest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> That we will cover on this podcast one day. Oh, good lord. <laughs> but it's awful. It's a fucking terrible movie. <laughs> but th- this movie, she just is not... She's not good. I mean, as I said, I do understand you know, some of the reason, reasoning behind it, but at the same time, it's still not mm. a great performance by any means. <laughs> but to get back on the positive, without spoiling anything, you might be like, oh, this movie's all about this guy, you know getting sicker and sicker. Well, how's this horror? Well, don't worry, because Jeremy Cruz's effects are on full display at the end of this film, without spoiling anything, because we don't want to give anything away. Go watch the movie. Yeah, you watch this movie. But good Lord, when it gets grisly, it gets grisly. The gore effects in this movie are absolutely fantastic. Top notch. I mean, I feel like we say that a lot, but there's no other way to go about you know, saying this. Yeah. Jeremy Cruz is one of the best mm-hmm. special effects makeup artists, not just in independent cinema, in film right now. Well, here, here's what I'm going to say. We love Canby. Canby. Greg Nicotero. Yeah. Robert Kurtzman, Howard Berger. Awesome effects artists, right? Yes. But when I watch, like, The Walking Dead, mm. which I'm not a big fan of The Walking Dead at all. I, I tried. <laughs> but when I see some of the work that's done in that movie, right... Or that show. show, I'm like, this is a quarter as good as Marcus Cook yeah. and Jeremy Cruz, and this is the top guys in the industry. Of course, they're not the one; they're not hands on doing it. You know, they're they're sub. There's you people know. helping them, of course. Yeah, but but I'm like, these guys, like these, this is the top. This should be the highest level of makeup effects, and it doesn't hold a candle to Marcus Cook and Jeremy Cruz. <laughs> like those guys are the masters. Yeah, they're so good at it, mm-hmm. and. I mean, Which Fred is a great effects artist oh, in his own course, right. You yeah. know, I mean that guy. You know, everyone at Toe Tag who does any kind of special effects are fantastic at mm-hmm. it, top notch. Yep. And in, I swear to God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going to <laughs> chuck my microphone at your head. The listeners want at least hear your ass. <laughs> <laughs> You're down here trying to talk, and nobody <laughs> can hear you. Start with me right now. When we edit tomorrow. You're here, and you're like, "Oh shit, you're right." I don't even remember where I was at. I'm sorry. I don't... Just keep talking. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to talk about before we end Cell Tarsica? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> sorry. <sighs> Since I fucking forgot. No. <laughs> Thanks. It's an awesome movie. It is a, a fantastic movie. I was, talking about, I was talking about the gore effects, but we've talked about that quite a bit. So yeah. I feel like we sh- I should just shut up. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Get mad at me all you want to, dog. You gotta be able to... It's a podcast. You gotta be... <laughs> Anyways, um, 
Yeah, Seltarska's great. One of uh, Totag's best, if not their best. For me, it is their best, but, you know, to each their own. Yes. And as a whole, like, I don't think Fred's ever made a bad movie. Yeah, I don't think he's made a movie that has maybe been like, oh, that's not good. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I do feel like, as I said, as we've said before, Mask Cat, I feel like, is his weaker yes. movie, for sure. But it doesn't change the fact that all of these movies are anywhere from good to great. Yeah. Like, even Mask Cat, like I said, like you said, it is, it is you know, what we both agree is the weakest toe tag release. Um, but still, I find enjoyment in it. I still, there's a lot of stuff about it that I like. You know, and maybe I'm alone in that. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> I don't yeah. care. Um, but yeah, so the final interview is the one we're waiting on, and hopefully, and when it when it does come out, I mean, we'll definitely we'll review definitely it. go over it. Oh, absolutely. But whether it be a mini episode or this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been fun, chaotic, crazy. Mm-hmm. Which I think chaotic and crazy probably eh. means similar things. Eh. But also, once again, thank you to Fred and thank you to Jason yep. so much for your contributions to this episode. And thank you to everybody for listening. And, yeah, yeah you thank know. you all so much. And blowing up our Instagram when we posted that we were going to have Fred on. I mean, that was awesome to see people actually be genuinely excited for it. Yep. Because without listeners, what's the point? I mean, we would still do this technically, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, we would still do this. <laughs> but it makes it more gratifying. Right. So, Fred Vogel, we wish you farewell. As of now. For now. Which I'll guarantee he'll make more... He'll make more movies, you're right. He'll make more movies, yeah. Um, But, it's time to announce the next episode... Dun, dun, dun. It will not be an interview. <laughs> no. We're not going to do an interview for a little bit. <laughs> However, right. we are going to try and to make this a more regular part of the show. Yeah. Um, do our episodes that just feature us talking about movies, and then somewhere in there, throw in one where we reach out to one of the filmmakers and speak with them, hopefully. Yeah. You know? And we have our next one planned. We're not going to say it yet because it's way in the early stages. Yeah, it's... It's just an idea right now. Yeah. It's not even, like, we haven't contacted these people just yet, or this person. Yeah. It's just an idea, and we're just going to leave it at that. Yep. But, our next episode... is a sequel! Yep, we'll be revert... Re- ooh, wow. What happened? I had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> it's no big deal, they have at least three times yeah. a day. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, just wipe just, that just off. Just a normal stroke. You know, a little bit of my brain went, but it's okay. <laughs> Anyways. We'll be returning to Massacre Video. Yeah, Massacre Video Part 2, and you're going to have to announce the uh, movies, because I don't remember them off the top of my head right now. Chester Turner. My brother. My dog. <laughs> he created two of the most bizarre... Weird shitty movies ever made. Oh no! And Black Devil Doll from Hell. Oh. And Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. And we keep it rolling with another weird one, Evil in the Woods. All right. So that will be Massacre Video Part Dos, my dudes. Coming in two weeks, right? Yep. Hopefully, if everything goes according to plan. Which, I- if you have listened to this podcast 
long enough, <laughs> you will know that some things are not guaranteed. <laughs> a lot of things are not guaranteed. Like, we announced one episode a, w- a while back of what was going to be on it, and it completely changed. It did. But that's going <laughs> to be the movies. Definitely yes. the movies. But, you know, whether or not... It, it'll happen in two weeks. It's happening, by God. <laughs> by God. <laughs> it happened. It, it happened. It going <laughs> down. <laughs> but as we always oh, say, if you have man. any questions, comments, and concerns, you can send those to sickoncinema at gmail.com. You can slide up in our DMs on Twitter, <laughs> on Instagram, on Facebook. Follow us on Letterboxd. Is it Letterboxd? Is that not what it's called? Is, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> oh. Is there a D in this shit? Maybe it is just Letterboxd. Hold up. Hold up. <laughs> It's a D? Oh, I was right, dog. I think mine is Bacchano 89. Mine? Oh, shit. Or maybe mine, no, no, mine's Rugged John Coffee. Rugged John Coffee? Yeah, 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 because it's Twitter. Yeah, I think mine is uh, Blue Soul. For, I went to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you said Twitter, and I went there. No, mine's the Hammer 56, actually. Mine? You got too many damn screen names. I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess it goes by Twitter, right? Yeah. So it's uh, Blue Soul four four five, and you could probably find me on there if you just click in maybe and I'm Matt because that's what I put my <laughs> last, my I guess my screen name thing. Yeah, too. mine's the Hammer fifty six. So you can follow us on Letterboxd. You can slide in our DMs. You can send us an email at sickoncinema at gmail dot com. Uh, you can watch us watch our Fright Crave YouTube channel. If yeah, you want Fright to. Crave on YouTube. Rate, review, stars, whatever. Give us or don't. <laughs> or don't do any of this shit. Uh, who okay. cares? <laughs> <laughs> who gives a shit? But until we see you again when we talk about Massacre Video, I'm John. I am Matt. And you've been listening to the podcast dedicated to the dark side of film. Sick. Son. CD man. I think you just said son. Eh, it's alright. Cinema! Cinema!